Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined as always by an amazing panel. And pass it over first to Spartan Grown. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me again. And thanks, everybody. Here on Spartan Grown, you can find me on Instagram, all one word, Spartan Grown, no spaces. And um, the only other place you're going to be able to get a hold of me is just through email, spartangrown at gmail.com. Those are the two places. Every, don't believe the fakers out there and don't buy anything from, I don't sell anything either. So if anybody contacts you looking like me, there's been a couple of scammers and uh, it keeps getting brought up to me. So I keep bringing it up to try to help the situation. I've been seeing more scammers lately, unfortunately. Uh, one of them was like, hey, uh, send me a word that starts with T and ends with Y and I'll send you a thousand dollars or whatever. Or like the one person was so bold because <laughs> enough people just weren't responding to that, that they just DM'd me like, hey, you're part of my blessing giveaway. Uh, send me your cash app or some other link and I'll send you $600. And I was like, did you mean to send me this or like, did you get hacked? And they're like, oh, I meant to send you like, it's, it's blessing brother. And it was like very poorly written English. And I like looked at the dude's page and he's a grower. And I was like, I think this dude got hacked. So I like posted it and I was like, Hey, everybody heads up. Don't fall for this stuff. It's definitely fishing. But anyway, that said next up, Matthew Gates. Hi everyone. My name is Matthew Gates. I'm an integrated pest management specialist. And I have been for about 12 years now. You can find my content. Well, professional inquiries, you can contact me at zenthanol.com. You can find my content educational on Zenthanol, the YouTube channel, which is also what I'm uh, commenting about in chat. And uh, also you can find me on my Instagram at SyncAngel and on Twitter at SyncAngel. We're happy to have you back. And last but not least, I'm sure we might have some late joiners, but uh, Dr. MJ. Yeah. Hey guys, Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I am uh, excited to, to come on. We're a little bit short staffed, but we got the core group here, so we should be able to cover things. And um, yeah, welcome to Chatters. And thanks, Jack, for showing up and doing this show every week. Always happy to be here. Noah, the Groa, said he's got a family birthday, so he won't be here this week. And I think Kyle of Pure Breeding also said he won't be joining us. Aaron, also busy. Uh, but I haven't heard from Aaron, or not Aaron, I just said Aaron. I haven't heard from Brandon or uh, a few of the others. Brandon's also busy. Show up. Oh, okay. So Brandon might not be here, but li likely will not be here. And then uh, Tao is usually going to be here. And he just shows up a few minutes late because he's a busy guy. But we're always happy to have him whenever he does show up. But with that said, uh, before the show, Spartan Grown talked a little bit about one of my favorite. Uh, I, can, I can call it historic now because it's been around for so long. And as I say that, Tao jumps in. But um, the hash bash. So I'm going to pass it over to you. And uh, I guess you could... Just give us a little history. Do you know how long it's been running for? And then I'll pass back to Tata to let him introduce himself. Yeah, yesterday actually was a special one because it was the 50th anniversary. So it's one of, I don't know if it's the longest running cannabis pro, uh, protest, but it's it's up there. It's on the list for sure. One of the earliest that I'm aware of for sure. And I mean, to be in Michigan, which uh, wasn't necessarily cannabis friendly at all 50 years ago, um, says a lot. And not was it not only was it just cannabis was hash like hash bash it says it right there in the name so that's pretty awesome and cutting edge because i mean hash is kind of re-coming to the forefront in the modern scene nowadays i would say it's got a lot more appreciation than 50 years ago that's for for sure in some circles but with that said we got the american one here with us welcome Tao. struggling to find the mute button but it's all right we still love Hello, him. jack and panel and everyone in chat uh it's good to be here and uh yeah we'll leave it at that He's the American one on Instagram, uh, the American underscore with underscore Akeens. But uh, yeah, we were just talking a little bit about the hash bash. Spartan mentioned that he went. It was uh, pretty cold from what I understand over there. What, what kind of temperatures were we talking? 
Uh, so it was like 41, 42 degrees, something like that. I, I had doubled up layers. So I was pretty warm. I, I knew what I was getting into. So it wasn't terrible, terrible for me. And the sun came out and it wasn't super windy. If it would have been windy, it would have been bad. Um, but there were still a lot of people showed up. Originally, the, the hash bash kind of got started and it was a protest when John Seclair got arrested for two fucking joints. And he ended up, uh, instead of taking plea deals, he kept fighting it all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Michigan Supreme Court ended up ultimately ruling that it was against the law to throw somebody in jail for that, for for two joints. And so um, it was it's like a commemoration of that event in Michigan every year at 12 o'clock uh, at the U of M Diag. On, uh, it used to be a certain day, but now I think it's the first, it might be the first Saturday of every April. But um, yeah, so the, it's kind of like a protest and usually have speakers there that talk about how cannabis helped them in their lives. And, and usually you get big names, people trying to help like normalize it. And I'm not kidding you. I was, I was still nervous about that. In fact, I'll just tell you the whole story. I got, when I get there, I'm not a big fan of the giant crowd that packs in up by the stage. So I kind of head towards the back, but it's just big flagpole. And it's easy to tell people where you're at because it's just gigantic flagpole with an American flag. And it's cool just to sit there and look at the flag when you're high as fuck. I, I enjoy it. And uh, so I'm back by the, the flagpole and there, I just I stood in the grass next to where there's a walk, uh, you know, a walkway, a, uh, a sidewalk. And I kid you not, I just lit up, I wish Brandon was here, I just lit up some limelight from Brandon and, uh, that I grew earlier. And I took two hits off of it, maybe two hits. And from the right of me, walking down the walk, there are these two police officers walking side by side, and they stop right in front of me. And then they turn their back to me and look towards the stage. And I'm standing right behind them with this cone that I just started, that I just lit up. And I turn, I don't remember who it was, somebody from the bro show was standing next to me. And I, I had a backpack over my shoulder. I just kind of put my backpack down on the ground and, and let it fall down next to her leg. I said, if I get arrested, fucking get my backpack, please. I said, but I'm going to smoke this fucking joint because I just started. <laughs> and I was a little nervous, but they stood there for a little bit. And then they just fucking moseyed on past. So kudos to the uh, the police of Ann Arbor. They, they didn't hassle anybody there smoking. You'd hope they're aware after 50 years of what's going on on that particular day oh, and yeah, not, not yeah. fuck with a guy for a couple of joints, bringing it all the way back to the, uh, <laughs> throwing it back to 50 years ago, you know, yeah. it'd be quite ironic if they did actually have to be for that, especially now with the state of legalization that Michigan has uh, come towards. So it's uh, good to hear that you got to link up with some of the bro show. I know that on the late sesh last week, Red Setter Farm did a good job kind of a uh, going over some of his uh, past experiences and what to expect. So that was cool to listen into. And I know Medical Mondays has one of the kind of, I think he's part of the organization of Hash Bash or? He's the organizer of Hash Bash, uh, of the Hash Bash Cup. Oh, um, so that's a separate thing. Okay. Yep. So it was, happened at the same time. It was like the whole weekend. So the Hash Bash Cup was Friday through Sunday through today. And um, the Hash Bash itself happened just pretty much Saturday or yesterday. And the cup is just offsite. It's close. It's still close, but it's at a hotel that they pretty much closed the whole hotel down. So you can smoke in all areas except for the rooms, which is amazing that that's a thing. Uh, I heard I didn't get to that, go to that, but uh, I heard that Mendo Dope showed up like as a surprise guest yesterday, uh, last night sometime and performed. There was a bunch of performances, but that's that just one of them. But that was like the surprise one that nobody knew about. So that was, well, it was pretty cool, I thought. That's I am Mendo being in, in Michigan ever. So that was cool to hear that they came out. 
I'm happy to hear. I'm a big fan of their music and uh, they grow some really dank weed. <laughs> you can get on the commercial market here in California if you're lucky. Uh, but yeah, super cool that they're supporting. And I was going to say the hotel thing, that's actually kind of the plans for uh, Vegas later this year is the, I was talking to some of the homies in Vegas and uh, they, I was asking them about like green events and like cannabis events because I want to do the cheap home grow meetup and cup or whatever later oh, this yeah. year. And I'm trying to narrow down what hotel we're going to do it at. And like, I want to be open about it because it's legal in Vegas to smoke. So a lot of these places are catering to having green friendly events. So I was kind of getting some info and I guess one of the hotels there is super green friendly and they, Dope. it's a smaller hotel, but they're like rent out basically like the whole venue if we get enough people interested. So I'm going to try and nail down some dates and uh, not overlap with any other events that are going on in our community or other ones in Vegas. So that way we can uh, get down and have a good time and uh, come together and meet each other in person because a lot of us haven't yet. Uh, some of us have, but it's definitely cool to link up in person. No, I'm really excited about that, Jack, for real, because one of my favorite things ever is just doing these events, going to these events so I can meet people that I, you know, these people I see in chat. Or there was a gentleman yesterday that came up to me and he said, uh, hey, are you Spartan Grown? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan. I listen to your show. You see, he was, he doesn't even watch the show. He listens on at work. He's an engineer, but he can put his headset on at work, you know, and listen about how to grow weed. And he's told me all about how he uh, grew his, uh, I think he was on his third harvest or something. He handed me a joint of GG4, one of my favorite strains. So that was fucking awesome. And uh, I handed him a joint of uh spartan glue that i had with me so i said here i, I don't even grow this anymore this is the, the actual last of the flower of my last grown spartan glue plant i want you to have it so i uh, handed that to him it was super cool even though like i said he didn't watch the show he's still like because we do the podcast thing he's able to get the information and it, it makes a positive benefit in his life and i just love that shit and i don't i get out here in michigan but i don't get out of the state much so that'd be cool to get out there and, and meet some more people for sure. And I actually uh, feel bad for a little while. I was putting the podcast on the back burner. I thought it was just people who like listen to a little bit here on YouTube and then they'd go and listen to like the whole show or whatever. But there is a entirely separate audience. Like they're two different crowds entirely. And when I stopped posting, there'd be at least 10 <laughs> disgruntled listeners like, hey, dude, like I listen to this at work. I'm like, can't you just like, I don't know, YouTube to MP3 it or like, you know, I have YouTube premium so I can just listen in the background or whatever. And I think it's worth paying for or whatever. But uh, yeah, like, with that said, I'm, I'm happy to put it on the podcast because some people, that's the only way they even know that the show is still going. A lot of people thought the show stopped. So when I started re-uploading it, they're like, I'm so happy the show is back on again. I'm like, it's been going <laughs> the whole time. But it, it really def definitely made me realize the uh, audiences are split up. And uh, shout out to the podcast listeners because they have the best retention compared to YouTube. I mean, it, they live like 95% of the show. <laughs> they listen all the way to the very, very end, like when yeah. we're doing the sign outs. And even then, many of them listen 100%. So Shout I get a lot of listens. comments too, like, like, oh, can we get it on the podcast if we ever slow down? And I'm like, Jack's on that shit. Don't worry about it. He'll get it going. <laughs> Give him time. We're, we're doing the best we can. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I've, I've been very consistent these last few months, um, usually the same night. Um, if I ever, if it's ever later than that, it's some technical difficulties. Like sometimes it takes five minutes to download and sometimes it takes an hour to download. And I don't know what changes that. So I probably need to figure that out with my internet provider, but that's a, some inside baseball that the listeners probably don't care too much about, but uh, I'm just happy that I'm able to do it a little bit easier than I thought. And uh, it doesn't take up too, too much time. My wife is courteous enough to allow me the post-processing time to, after the show, make sure we can get it up to the podcast listeners, which that super helps. It's definitely worth it because uh, like, like you said, some people, they just want to stick that earbud in their ear while they're working and doing something and, and not 
look at anything at all and just listen along. And the fact that we can transfer information to them uh, through this modality is uh, an amazing thing. So, and with that being the said, more when I was looking, we can reach the better, man. That's what I think. The more we can reach the better, that means there's more people homegrown. And that's really my goal. I don't know everybody else, but that's my goal. I want to see more people homegrown, growing their own cannabis, because that means there's more good weed out there and, and less bullshit weed. And when you travel, you get to meet up with homies who have some dang exactly. homegrown. Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of not like from a selfish standpoint, but everybody deserves good medicine at an affordable cost or, or recreational cannabis if that's how you choose to consume it. And I think that's that. The- that's that's it bag that's the best part of like these events i i met like you know the core group of of my friends that were there but then also all my extended family from all the shows and we show up and everybody's wanting to share stuff so you go to those events you know you might bring some of your own stuff but you're leaving with a bounty way more than you brought because everybody's wanting to share everything oh just try this just try this. they're not looking for anything return you know what I mean? That's the coolest thing about this community is just how giving and how open everybody is. And man, that's, I'm addicted to it. I love that shit. It's definitely a great thing, uh, no doubt. And I'm happy to be able to be a little small part of it and try and strive forward to get more in-person content. One of the things that I want to do with the Cheap Home Grow Meetup is do a live podcast recording where we all get in front of a mic and we do the show live in front of the actual That'd crowd. Be dope. Have like a mic where they can come up and actually ask questions. Um, the other thing I was going to say was when I was looking at the uploads, one of the most popular, I think it's because people went back and listened to it over and over and over and over again episodes was the back to basics episode where we just talked about basics of growing, you know, like what do you do in veg? Uh, what medium do you use? And I know for a lot of our audience, maybe who's here with us on the YouTube listens every week, it's probably a little bit um, overly simplified for them, but we do have a lot of newer growers that are just getting started. And I think it is good to highlight that stuff sometimes. So I don't know if we'll do that tonight or maybe in the future, another back to basics part two, because uh, that seemed like a very popular one. And uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see. I, I want to give the listeners what they want. And uh, the people that show up live are about half, even sometimes less than half of the uh, total. So we want to make sure that everybody is kind of getting a little bit of what they're looking for. But most of that's gro- about growing indoors. And uh, I just flipped some Velvet Bunch F3 to flower finally after torture testing the hell out of them, uh, keeping them root bound getting them way too hot, way too cold, over and underwatering, doing everything miserable to them, like too, too much light, too little light. And uh, they survived the veg stress test. So now I'm going to repeat that in my flower, but so we'll see how me, they go through. So tell me in your own opinion, I mean, cause you're going to know better than anybody, but looking at your F3s and looking at your F1s, are you seeing huge differences there yet? Or are you seeing just incremental changes? Or are you seeing no difference and it's pretty much the same? Less vigor for sure by F3 already. Uh, F2 was very similar to F1 as far as vigor. I didn't notice a significant difference in vigor. F1 versus F3, it's like night and day. Even the two that I'm not stress testing as hard, that I'm doing more for like production, they still get a little bit of stress testing, um, but the veg time has been much slower. And I noticed that same with um, I've grown Cinderella 99, just the Brothers Grimm. And then my buddy, Two Scrog, sent me some uh, F4 Cindy 99 that were picked for the pineapple flavor uh, by uh, Dynasty Genetics. And they F3'd it, looking for that pineapple. And then Two Scrogs just took the F3 pineapple from Dynasty and made it into F4. But those were some of the least vigorous, <laughs> no offense to Two Scrogs, but from seed, the seedling, they were tiny little seedlings and they vegged really, really, really slow. And although Cindy 99 was like, uh, squat and like stout plant, it 
had some pretty decent vigor um, despite being like tighter note spacing, I guess. So I would so definitely the... agree that later in the like F3, F4, F5, you definitely see less like vegetative speed and um, it's interesting, but the structure so is, the, is similar. Is, is the is the move then once you get what you're looking for in the breeding project, maybe it's a flavor, maybe it's a high. Once you get to where you're at, maybe you're so far down that it's not very vigorous. Is that move to breed it back to one of the F1s to bring that the hybrid vigor in and in the just pick from there? Or, or That is a way to do it. I've also heard people will take like dissimilar, they'll start to breed apart where they'll have like a really squatty line and like a really stretchy line. And then they'll like take those both to F3, F4, F5 separately and then cross those back to each other to keep it. But I do still have F2 stock. Um, the F1 stock is very limited or completely gone completely gone um so i wouldn't be able to work back to that i haven't kept clones to be honest i was mainly just doing it out of curiosity of like what's going to change from f1 to f2 to f3 my initial goal was i wanted it to be purple because i wanted a purple male to breed with and like was going to back cross it to j1 to have j1 available from seed because j1 super green a purple male would make it easy to distinguish uh, any offspring like the more purple ones would probably be more uh velvet punch dominated or the green ones would be more j1 dominated and since J1's a clone only, I wanted to like make that uh, available from seed. But ultimately after Velvet Punch F1 turned purple at day 20 or 21 in flower, then I picked, you know, I, I was hoping for that. It's not something I could tell before I flipped, but the phenos that I had, I was like, well, day 20, that's pretty fucking early to be turning purple. Yeah. I'm happy with that. Those are good parents. So F2s, I sent them out to everybody. Nobody should turn purple until like earliest week six, week seven. <laughs> And like they were super purple week eight, nine as it faded. Like week if you took yeah. it 10 weeks, they were like black. But um they did not turn purple anywhere near as early. So I'm like, oh well, that was a failed. If I was just going for the purple male, like that was a yeah. failed prop. But the flavor and the high, which was like I described, I think, very well to all my testers. I sent like a one-page note of like yeah. smells and effects to look for and like how it impacted me and what I kind of expected to like if you harvest this date, this date, or that date. And I said, if you har harvest earlier, it'd be like 60, 40, uplifting, uh, 60, 40, sedating. But if you harvest like at nine weeks, it'd be like 50, 50. If you push it to 10 weeks, it'd be more like 60% sedating, 40% uplifting. And that's what most people that I've talked to have kind of found. There are some phenos that are maybe more uplifting and some people maybe took it longer and found some more sedating stuff. But they also, like everybody was finding the grapey smells, the gassy smells. Yeah. Tao found like a watermelony pheno. The one thing that surprised me was the uh, zigzaggy phenos, the sawtooth. But when I popped 16 of my own, I found uh, a male of that. So I do know that's that, cool that it expresses, yeah, like one in, I'll, I'll, I say like roughly one in 15, maybe you'll find that. Because when I sent them out to people like Tao found one of those um, and a few others found them as well in the tester crew. So it was a really fun project. I learned a lot from it and I'm still enjoying the F3s. They're smelling amazing in late veg and early flower. So exciting to see what comes from bliss, it my bliss but i'm just fucking having fun with it man i don't give a fuck i'm just playing around and you know breeders can point at me and say you need to do it like this you need to do it like that and i'll just continue to laugh at him and have fun i don't care that's exactly how i feel it's like this is my little passion project and uh some people are going to tell me that i'm doing it wrong and some people are going to tell me that i'm doing it right and others will be like hey you can't release this until it's this stable or it has hermes so you should just delete it get rid of it i'm like well, you know, it. three of the 27 testers who've grown them so far had Hermes, but 24 out of 27 didn't. And even of those three, like uh, 
that they found other phenos that didn't hurt him that they liked and are still growing cuts off to my knowledge. So it's interesting, the whole breeding process, because I never had anything hurt in house and I've run dozens and dozens of seeds, but until you run hundreds or thousands, I guess, maybe you'll never find it. Um, but I, I even expected it because the, the lineage, the cross. Yeah. Has, like, well, I mean, that's where you need your testers come in because they're going to find different environments. You can't, even if you're trying to, you're going to probably mimic your own environments just to different degrees rather than really have vastly different environments. Whereas you get yeah, testers like, out, they're going to have vastly different growth styles and everything. So that's the best way to really. The nutrients. They are. The yeah. Light nutrients, leaks. Like yeah. the, the types lights of light themselves. leaks. The lights. Yeah. Like I don't have HPS. Sending them out to somebody that has an HPS was kind of informative to see how it grows differently or the same and the hermy things that i could kind of and not to like make excuses for the plant but each of those individuals i could kind of look to and be like let's talk a little bit about about it and was there something that may have been stressing the plant and in all three cases i think that um they could say yes like one there was heavy heavy light leaks from open tents right next to it for several days in a row and multiple things in that room herm then the other one uh was in a one gallon pot through flower and i just think that's personally a little bit small um for that setup so and the last person uh was the american one he's with us here so i don't want to badmouth him but uh i think he would and, and most people that have grown cookies would say if you, if you don't clean up the bottoms occasionally they'll get some hermes on the lowers and i think that's exactly what happened if i'm remembering correctly yeah that's it was uh on the lower and i it's probably could have been that my soil was a little hot because like yeah I, you know so that could be one of the factors too but uh, the ones I did harvest and smoke were killer. So, yeah, I'll say that. <laughs> that sample that I was uh, somehow given was uh, delicious. And I almost wished, like, damn, like, whatever he's doing over there, I need to start doing over here to bring out that expression. Or you found a really killer pheno because it was more, I thought the sweetest was grape, but you found, like, a watermelon kind of pheno that I wasn't even aware of. And that, that's the other beauty of sending it to testers is other environments will bring out some expressions that you didn't even know were available. So. That was a really cool experience. So I think it was 100% worth all the time, effort, and actual money because I paid to send the seeds to every single person. I paid to grow the seeds. Um, I have a very, very, very small grow. Like it's a five square foot tent. So to sacrifice multiple grows for seed runs is like a bunch of flour that I'm not getting to consume. So it was a huge hit, but in the long term, I, I learned so much from it. It was 100% worth it. So, and I just still sent out some bunch of F2s to somebody who's like, Hey, uh, I've never had anything grapey. Like, I'm like, are you in America? <laughs> yeah. Ask and you gotcha. shall receive. Uh, they, they're pretty tested at this point. Like I, I even changed the tester paper to, uh, you know, if you have light leaks, look out for herms. If you have too small of a pot, look out for herms. And if you over fertilize, like, cause that was another thing. The person who had light leaks, they're a grower who's got a lot of experience, but they don't use an EC meter. They oh. just feed once a day or whatever. And, They've had good luck with that and that works for them. So I can't say that the EC was too high, but I can estimate that when you do that style of growing in my own experience, it's easy for the EC to get too high. And so that with light leaks, I think is very likely to cause Hermes. So I don't, I don't want to make this all Tal. the velvet punch. Tal, show one the... second though. One second, because speaking of reading and, and Tao, I saw a post today on Instagram that, Amy's Ace has made it across the pond over to Europe in, in a good amount. So that is fucking exciting, dude. Uh, that, congratulations on that. Yeah. The, the, uh, the grower, Grow Forum 420, the 420 Grow Forum. Anyway, them guys are all right. And uh, they sent me a bunch of different seeds. So I was like, I'm going to return the favor. 
And uh, I'm excited to see everybody grow that stuff out. And I also sent him some testers. Um, I had, I had a blueberry mail from AKB Marines vintage blueberry that I hit a bunch of girls with. And uh, one of them was the time rack. So I, uh, someone was asking about, about that. So I sent them a whole bunch of those, which I'm excited to see what comes of those. Cause I really didn't, I haven't grown that one out yet. And there's a couple other ones I haven't grown out that uh, I'm going to get to shortly though. One of the things I love about you sending specifically Amy aces or any of the cheesequake crosses to across the pond is a lot of those guys not only have grown the UK cheese, but like that was all they would smoke for a long time. And it was around and it was just like, that was the cut. So if anybody knows what UK cheese is, it's the fucking guys in the UK and they've grown it and smoked it and are familiar with it. And Amy aces to me rings pretty true to UK cheese, but like, I don't, I'm not an authority. I've lived in Ohio and California. Like UK cheese has never been super big here. We get occasional cheese coming through or whatever crosses of it, but for them to be like, oh yeah, Amy's got some spot on phenos of fucking cheese in there. And like, they've grown the shit or they're growing it side by side with it. In some cases, it's like really cool to have that validation. And now it's going to be even more of their grow rooms over there. Cause I saw that package with a bunch of little packages in it. And I know how they work over there. Once they get those seeds, they go out and they go out to growers, just like uh, Dr. MJ and his forum. They're not going out to the people that are sitting on them. They're going out to people that are popping them and growing them for like the, you know, spring autoflower challenge coming up. The stipulation is if you win, you got to pop one of those, I think, four sets of seeds that you can uh, win on there. Doc, maybe I'll throw it over to you to remind us. I think one of them's they're, they're like Gorilla Glue Auto and like other things similar to like that, if I'm remembering correctly. But maybe you could give us a little plug for that coming up because everybody loves free seeds, right? Absolutely. That's tomorrow. We're doing the drawing for that. And the only thing you have to do is be registered for the SFAC. Um, everybody that's registered gets a number in the drawing and then the drawings tomorrow night. So go get registered for the SFAC on cocoforcannabis.com forward slash challenge. That's free. Uh, they're always free. It's just a, a grow along and we're all going to drop seeds on April 20th on 420. Um, usually autos, although we do have a photo group in the spring auto flower challenge for people that are committed to growing photos. So it's a great time to, to try autos if, uh, if you don't usually or even if you do. That's inclusivity um, right there, Doc. I got to say. It's the spring yeah. auto flower challenge and you're still letting photo growers in they have their for cannabis. everybody's welcome. <laughs> yeah. They have their own group there. So oh, the thing this year is, okay. is the spring is the spring picnic and we've got like the desserts and we've got like the, the fruit group and we got the snacks and we got the beverage group for, for different strains that you might be growing to sort of lump yourself in there. We have the ants who are sort of invading the part the picnic as the misfits. If you don't fit into something else, and uh, then we have the photographers who are uh, growing photo period plants. Um, so yeah, we have a steering committee and challenge committees that have fun kind of, and, and Jordan, the website manager, um, has a lot of fun putting together the themes and coming up with like the grow box designs and stuff like that. So they've all been working on that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, we're going to do a bunch of giveaways at the start, but this is the first one, the seed giveaway. Uh, homegrown cannabis company sponsored 10 winners. They're each going to get two four packs of autoflower seeds. And there's um, four options that you'll get to, to choose from. Um, like you mentioned, the uh, Gorilla Glue Auto and um, you got the Bruce Banner Auto, the Critical Purple Auto and the Lemon Haze Auto. I'd go with the Lemon Haze myself, but it'll be interesting to see what people choose. So are those longer flowering too as autos? Like, do they go a little bit longer as an auto too or no? 
Are they you still- know, I haven't checked them all. I, I assumed that they were sort of 10 to 12 weekers, but I'm not, I'm not sure. I'll have to, I'll have to look into that. I was just curious if I had anything. I don't know if, if it makes a difference or not because, you know, photo period to realize if that still kind of transfers over as it still takes a while. My dog, sorry. <laughs> snoring. I'm like, who's snoring? <laughs> I thought he was growling. <laughs> I that's thought he was sweat. like upset. That's my little pug. He sounds like a pig, like a giant pig, but he's like, like tiny. That's funny. Everybody grows different, different periods. We, you know, we've thought about different things about like the, the period length of the autos. Um, it, one of the fun things that, that we enjoy though, is just everybody drops on the same day. So if you're growing a faster flowering strain, uh, you can compare like on a day by day basis with other growers that are growing different strains and sort of see where it's faster, where it's slower, things like that. Um, and see That's if they, yeah, see how close they come to, you know, what you would expect from that. The other thing that, that I've enjoyed watching through the years is how, you know, different styles of growing, different lighting and things like that affect um, speed, especially in the autoflower challenge, because, you know, most of the growers do drop on 420 and theoretically are all sort of, you know, at the same place. So seeing how different grow styles sort of stack up and if, you know, throw your grow style up against up against the group and then see how you do so see how fast your seedlings get up going see how you know different people train their autos and stuff it's pretty cool to see what people can do with yeah them. as you're talking about this in my head i just had this idea you should reach out to um i don't want to say his name um i can't think of his real name um uh, gnome automatics you should reach out to gnome, gnome automatics and i bet you he's you know he has some breeding project going on and what better way to have basically testers that you know are going to grow the things if he could supply yeah. you with the same strain that you could pass out and everybody grow the same strain. That way, everybody's got the same cultivar. And then, like you said, and all these different techniques you can see right there. Well, that's an amazing amount of knowledge that a reader is not going to yeah. get from normal testing. Yeah, we, we've gotten close to doing some like uh, seed testing deals. You know, we did something like that with Kyle a few years ago in the New Year's Grow Challenge. But I agree. We get we get hundreds of growers all growing together at the same time. So if you were interested and confident in your genetics, because that's something that scared off some other people too. Like, oh well, if this goes poorly in a, in a testing sense, it, it's going to go poorly in sort of a spectacular way too. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's going to spread around pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe one of his tried and true ones, like the you know alf or uh anvil. anvil yeah something that's like you know everybody's gonna get something beautiful and purple and good smoke right uh, spartan i think you reviewed that a while ago the anvil i think abolished maybe grew it or something but uh you've at um, least gotten to try abolished it. we reviewed it and um, the sequence grew it in the greenhouse oh that's so, right yeah he he did the uh interplanting which i think a lot more people should start doing with any outdoor grow uh if you're able to you just fill in the space between the photo periods with auto flowers and you get yourself a little bumper crop before the photos are even close to ready. You're pulling down some good weight and some pretty good looking buds. So it's a great use of space and uh, they take pretty, I mean, I think you just use soil and water. So it's like, you can make it simple. people People undervalue the benefit of having a bumper crop or which is, I'm just trying to say in layman's terms, an early crop before anybody else really does. And it gets you a little bit of money back before your big harvest. So when shit hits the fan or you need something, you got cash to pay for it. And before Croptober too, you're not going into a market that's flooded. You're going into a market. That's a lot of people are selling their last year's crop. 
at you the time be the you're pulling your auto. before the tsunami wave. Which yeah, uh, it's a nice. I mean, I don't know how long that's going to be the case before everybody does it, and then it's no longer advantage. But for right now, it's kind of an, a, an unsung advantage of auto flowers right there. As you get those early harvests in when it's kind of a drought, where last year's auto flower, last year's outdoors all kind of gone. The deals are gone, and hey, you're just sitting on a harvest before anybody's fucking even thinking about a harvest. Do you guys still see the drought thing happening? Because a lot of people are claiming that the droughts are over, and uh, we're not going to see. This year's the first year that we didn't really see a low, like when we usually do. Right about this time, it usually starts getting kind of low, and it, we're still creeping downward here in our market. So, no, this is the first year I don't haven't really seen a big uh, drought. I think that's going to be the case pretty regularly moving forward because there's so many legal producers whether it's the you know in the legal market that it's being shipped out to, or into but it's also supply in other markets undoubtedly whether it's legal or not you know people buy it for themselves and then they sell it to their buddies or whatever so um it's making availability a lot a access i think is a better way of putting it is higher now which i think for i, I always look at this from like the home it's grower a, like medical perspective it's a it's a win it's definitely a win when prices come down. I know like the producers don't necessarily want to hear that, but um, it is a win and there will be luxury markets developed. Like there are super cheap and inexpensive cars out there or whatever. And there's really fancy ones and there's different markets for everybody. Well, I want to shout out. This is an excellent example of uh, how a small time person can exist in a race to the bottom situation. And I'm going to shout them. I'm wearing their shirt right now. It's uh Winewood organics from, uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ann Arbor, Michigan. Like that shirt. <laughs> That's definitely appropriate. They're one of three that I know of license holders in the state of Michigan that holds a micro business license. And what that means is that you're ver you're vertically integrated, so all parts of the operation are under your control, all on one property, which is important because that means that you can offer something that even the big guys can't offer. And what that is is you can say to your consumer. My weed never leaves this property until you come up and pick it, pick it up. The only weed that leaves this property is the weed that gets sent out for its testing. So it's not sitting in an uncontrolled truck, trailer, back room. Um, the packaging is controlled by me. I know what uh, what conditions it's being packaged in, and it's just it's the closest thing to a home grow at a commercial scale that you're going to be able to get as a consumer. And uh, we actually had this guy on our show, on the Michigan Bros. Grow Show, I think two weeks ago, and uh, had an excellent talk with the guy. And I learned, I was really impressed with him. And then I went to his booth at uh, the Hash Pass at Monroe, Monroe Street, and I bought a shirt instantly and because I wanted to support that. That's something I can get behind. So that's <laughs> how you can compete, because the big guys can't do that. They just can't. It's just not in the operation. I mean, they technically shit. they can, but it's a lot more difficult. You know, they can't keep it on property. They can't make those claims, but they could right. climate control it from start to finish. It's a lot easier for that micro producer to have that quality control start to finish where they're keeping it in a cool climate because most people aren't going to pay for the air conditioned truck. Like I hate to say it, like a true right. air conditioned truck, not like one that has it for the driver blowing on them, like an air conditioned unit on the top of the truck, climate controlling it below 68 degrees the entire time. And if there's hash in there, even colder. So it is a very important thing for micro producers well, and then he does, in our show he was telling that he can do things he can pivot quickly for example on the front end of the store that he kind of is the jack of all trades so he sometimes he fills in the front sometimes he's in the, in the packaging sometimes so anyhow people kept coming in asking for bubble hash because that's not a product you see in michigan nobody has just bubble hash or dry sift 
So he started just giving bubble hash. Why not? And he and, and now everybody's coming to him for it because he's filling that gap that nobody else can do. And he can pivot really quickly. I mean, how hard is it to set up some bubble bags and start doing that instead? It's the returns. Facility. That's why the big, big corpos don't like bubble hash because it returns 1% yeah. on your fucking uh, whatever, 1% to 6%, we'll call it. And if you're throwing 1,000 grams in and you're only pulling out 10 grams, Absolutely. they get Absolutely. pissed, dude. And it's not a – but that's the thing. If you want to survive in this market, solventless is super hot. If you can wash ash and pre press decent rosin, like look at Dankman Dan. I, I don't know if he has a micro business license, but he should friggin' get one at this point. Like the stuff he's producing over there. Uh, but I think that's the way people are going to and are surviving right now is, is single source, uh, you know, making ice water hash, making dry sift and differentiating from the market, which is mostly uh, BHO, at least out here in California, it's a lot easier for them to produce at scale and they're getting a lot more return out of it. So they don't feel as bad when yeah, they put a thousand grams in and get a lot more I, than that. I 100% agree with you, but I do not turn my nose up. To, there's good BHO. Oh, shout out to for Growly, man. Half my half oh, my dab tray right now is BHO. Yeah. I, I'm not. A I feel like snob, when I dab, but it's I'm just cleaner. Saying. I I'm saying it's, if dabs cleaner, it just feels cleaner. I don't get that. It melts cleaner off of your nail compared oh, to a lot of hash. Yep. Because most hash, I hate to say it, is not the cleanliness that people call everything six star. Not everything is six star. If you dab it and leave something on your nail, it's not six star hash. So like if you shout out to French Cannoli came on the show, big fan of his, we, me and Shane talked way back in the day about his scoring scale, but like one of the largest parts of his scale was the melt test, because if it's not melting well, that's an indication that there's, you know, inconsistencies either in the drying process, there's um, contam contam just straight up uh, contaminant material. Uh, and that makes it not burn as clean as something that is processed super well like for Groly making bho he purges it down with limonene in his vats the limonene he said once he started doing that the levels of ppms were like so low it was almost non-detectable in in many of the tests they were getting back so and the yeah, part and that's why i could see his stuff and i'm like yeah i'll smoke that all day and then when you smoke it you can fucking tell it's like there's nothing left it's just you blow out flavorful air and that's it well, I think that they're artists because I'll say nine out of 10 people who's growing flour in the market here for flour. If you go and get it as a home grower, you're like, this is fucking garbage. But if you go and get concentrate nine out of 10 times, I agree with you. I agree. it is amazing. You're like, wow, this is, a, this guy's a fucking artist. This tastes like pineapples yes. or grapefruits or melons or lemons. And it, it smokes well and it has great flavor and it's honestly, they're fair prices. That's the thing about hash is I've seen bubble hash rosin go for over a hundred dollars a gram here in California, uh, seven, 10 lamps, Percy Same. rosin. Like you'll go broke quick. That's expensive. yeah. It's like, it's more expensive than cocaine and cocaine is there's a joke. Somebody say it's like God's way of telling you you have too much money. Like fucking you go broke real quick with expensive drugs like that. And I think, uh, that's sort of the opposite of what a lot of the community is trying to do with like the cheap home grow. We're trying to save as much money as possible and not blow it all on hundred plus dollar grams of hash rosin. But if you're getting into a market as a business and uh, the big guy can't produce that and people do want it, I guess uh, some people will treat themselves. Maybe they'll only get that one gram a year or something or once a month, they'll get a really nice gram. But uh, the rest of the time they're smoking the pre-ground flour or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the beauty of being a home grower too, is you get used to having abundance at least for at least in short bursts at you know, the very least. And in those abundance times, you just don't give a fuck and you just smoke yourself out. And then you learn lessons real quick and 
you know, perpetual harvesting or something because you'll run yourself out of weed in a hurry. At least I, I can. Especially when you do, especially when you something. start fucking with concentrates, especially if you do anything concentrates, that weed goes fast. So I have something to share. I, um, I don't think they follow us necessarily, but on uh, Instagram, their name is uh, Intentional Misuse or uh, Lignum Vitae, which is, of course, um, life wood or wood of life or tree of life, however you want to describe that. Um, they sent me some seeds. Uh, so I t- thought I would go over that um, a little bit if you're down. Yeah. yeah are they cannabis uh, seeds? Yes, they are. You never Always know. Good. No, no, not especially with me. You know, I, I think I'm the, sometimes I'm the rogue agent in this group where I might hit you <laughs> with a non non can of plants. Well, we talked uh, a lot content. about growing our own food last week and uh, true. Or banker know. plants like yeah. explosive ember peppers. Black diamond, black diamond watermelon, by the way. I'm a big fan of that cultivar. If you can get that, if you like right. watermelon. Um, but uh, Kerala F2 is one of them. Oh. The other one was. Uh, this is upgrade with two D's in, in a, a uh, ditto marks. It says incense haze and chem DDF2, F2 Ooh, of uh, Primary colors green rose, Congo black nine in Roman numerals, F3, and uh, LA Hindu. Uh, cross with OMG bridal veil in quotation marks <laughs> that which is a scary. mother <laughs> I wouldn't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole wow <laughs> <laughs> mother's glue um, crossed with Yosemite glue and oh another thing of primary colors and I'm told here that uh, yeah, primary colors is older lines mashed up. Original haze crossed with haze 19, crossed with 1979 Xmas bud. Ooh. Uh, bridal veil is mother's glue, crossed with Yosemite glue. Yosemite equals GD4 and ancient OG. Mother's glue is Yosemite glue, crossed with LA Hindu, crossed with old mother Ghani. Uh, green rose is the original haze, crossed with haze 19, crossed with LA Hindu, crossed with these are just X marks. So I don't really understand necessarily if you guys want to do the math. Um, so this is crossed with old mother Ghani crossed with 1979 experts, bud, and the Kerala was from Coco jeans via wonder made me do it. Whoever that is. I think it's so. Kerala, not to be like too uh, India specific, but somebody corrected me. It's Kerala is the way that you pronounce that little area in India. And then the, the Ghani, I think is Ghani, like Afghani. But um, the LA Hindu is some really good stuff. So I think anything that's crossed to that would probably be early on my popping list. Uh, and a lot of that stuff will take like half a year to finish. <laughs> Those oh. Nigerian black and like Congo and like a lot of that stuff is the hazes are really, really, really long flowering. But uh, yeah, super but the cool. eyes can be special. So it's worth it. Definitely. <laughs> They're like nothing you really see today, to be honest. Um, it, it, it's unique when you get to smoke something that takes longer than 14 weeks to flower and it looks like something that most people here would never want or pay for because it's like so airy and uh, wispy but when you actually get to smell it and uh, consume it it has some incredible effects so i'm a big fan of those 
Do you yeah, have plans maybe. in the future to uh, get a home grow setup started, or are you still I definitely do. busy and traveling? I definitely do. The uh, the main issue for me is just um, like like I've said earlier, it's probably a weak argument to a lot of people who work probably harder than I do in some in some regards and still are able to keep a uh, plant going. But um, I'm sure you've heard of the spoons analogy with regards to people's energy levels and uh, what they can take to task. And uh, currently, still, um, that is probably not something I could give what I would consider to be a sort of suitable time investment, personally. But I definitely do. I, um, I often take notes when we're talking here on the Cheap Homegrown podcast, of course, and also with other people who I collaborate to. And um, my, I also have some other things in the work that I, I mean, it's private you know, sort of stuff. So I don't want to talk about it here, but I do have, um, I do have concept plans for uh, growing in an outdoor setting that I'm probably more excited about than growing in an indoor setting personally, not because it's better or anything, uh, but it's something that I, I find interesting. The sun in California, if you can grow underneath it is uh, an amazing grow light. <laughs> for lack of a better term, I guess, it can definitely bring out some awesome expressions and the cost. I mean, hard to, uh, you know, want to pay for electricity when you've got such a great... In California, especially. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a tiny, tiny grow setup. Like only a couple hundred watts of light. And my bill is ridiculous. Like, I'm... It's from, the- it's from the lights. Like, you've done the math predominantly um wow. there's also fans exhaust fans and yeah stuff. that's true but um it's because the place that i live i'm in like a tiny home and a bunch of other people have these very tiny homes or trailers whatever you want to call it and um most people in a space that's only 400 or 800 square feet don't use a ton of electricity <laughs> so if you're running a couple grow lights like in veg i'll leave them on for like 24 hours sometimes even though they're not on super high it's just more and from four i think to 9 p.m we have a time of use where you get these spikes where it costs like way more from four to 9 p.m so like if i'm ever in flower i always make sure to have my lights come on after 9 p.m and uh that's actually saves a good chunk of money it would be even more expensive if i didn't go through the little hassles of doing this stuff hey jack um someone actually hit up my dm and then on the gml show they were discussing this uh gas lantern lighting schedule for vegetative growth uh i was wondering if you have oh, heard this- of it and if have any of you ever tried it because yes. conversation I- in chat it's yes. in chat too oh, all right in, in a chat. Uh, if yeah, I somebody, how a long time ago I, well, it doesn't work it, it it works to keep the plants out of photoperiodism to keep them out of flowering um, by turning the light on for an hour in the middle of the dark period. <laughs> but it, it doesn't help grow plants. I mean, it, it confuses the plants, it seems to. Um, and you're just providing a lower DLI. So this is the one time where sort of understanding DLI is important in, in a grow and about light. But that's the total amount of energy that you're able to give to the plants over a 24-hour period of time. And if you're only running the light for 13 hours instead of 18 hours or some longer period of time, you're definitely decreasing the amount of time that the plant is able to absorb photons and photosynthesize and grow. Um, Add to that, it's not a natural rhythm for the plant. Um, 
you don't have a, a standard on off rhythm for the plant. You have this off on off on off on off on sort of weird rhythm for the plant that you know we've had a couple of growers try this this is why i'm sort of willing to speak more confidently one grower that i knew for years tried this and really gave it a go for a, a solid like five six weeks with plants in, in veg and and had to give up on it because he felt so bad for the plants um so yeah there it's just it would violate rules of physics in order for this thing to work it does keep plants from going into flowering but the plants are weak and small and and slow so i'll just give a little background on the history of it because it goes to even more of the reason why it doesn't necessarily make sense to do it as an intentional horticulture practice um in ag and horticulture it was usually like northern areas that didn't have a ton of light and they're just trying to keep stuff in veg or whatever. And we're talking like hoop houses with very minimal climate control. Um, and they would literally use gas lanterns or very cheap lights strung across a hoop house. That's just enough to keep them out. And we're talking about just trying to minimize the cost of production. They're not maximizing output. Like with our cannabis grows indoor, the amount of energy use, like I was talking about earlier, my electric bill is super high. You want to veg as short as possible and get as many runs in per year as possible to maximize the grams per square foot or maximize your yield essentially uh, per that electrical use. Otherwise, you're just not being really efficient. And like Doc is mentioning, yeah, you're running less light. Technically, you're lowering your DLI, but that's going to have inverse effects. Like it's going to make your plants grow slower and grow less. So if you're trying to grow the biggest plant as fast as possible, the gas lamp does not make a whole lot of sense. If you're like the person that I've, he came on fucking talking shit with Eagle and I can't think of exactly who it was. So I don't want to name who it was, but they have been doing it for over a decade and they're like up in NorCal doing an illegal grow that's like off grid and they have to keep their electric bills down. They're using old HPS lights and they're running probably too many of them. And it was kind of like a cobbled together reasoning but they made it work for themselves. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like a, of the, he's done 600 shows. So of the 600 shows he's had people come on, let's say 500 of them are actual individual interviews of growers. I've heard one person use the gas lamp with like a semi-questionable reasoning behind it and stick with it. Everybody else is growing with regular ass veg lighting routines and having plenty of success. So the main question would be why, why switch? And I guess to save a little bit of money on the upfront you save it on your electrical bill maybe that month but instead of edging for a month now you're edging for a month and a half or two months so you're getting less crops in and then you end up paying more on, on your electric so right. it all evens out in the end and um i would just try and optimize not uh it is the cheap home grow but like i think quality is cheaper in the long run a lot of the times and just doing things right the first time will save you time and money so yeah, I think it's like you just explained it perfectly. Dr. Coco and Jack together was beautiful. It's basically, it's a technique that keeps your plants alive. It's a tool that can be used in specific situations, but it's not like a rule of thumb to do every situation and run that. It's not like efficient. It's not right. You could do, you could do things way more efficiently just by running the straight light, you know, for X amount and then, you know, like, like we're doing there's, there's a reason why everybody's been running at least 18 hours, sometimes 24. 
forever because they've tried everything. Well, and that's a better debate. 18 versus 20 or 20 versus 24 or 16 versus 17. You know, those are like, I would be more interested in talking about that, but the gas lamp, I, I feel like Spartan was kind of just alluding to, it's almost like my power went out. Now I'm running things off of a generator. Mm-hmm. Now I'm yes. going to run the gas lamp for a day or two until the power comes back. But right, that's, I have to that, ride that's my, the best my tool to exercise yeah. bike to power the generator or something, right? So I can only do this for so long in the middle of the night. Yeah, absolutely. If there's a compelling reason that you can't provide longer like, period light, the, this is one of the tricks to hold a plant in, in a vegetation. And I do use this myself. I use it. I have a battery powered light. If I lose power, I know yeah. that. So I'll put it on one that battery for just an hour. There's no reason to run it longer than that. You know what I mean? And I'm saving that battery so I can go turn it back on and again, in a, you know, a few hours. Somebody asked about mothers, though. I, I really wouldn't do this with mothers because you don't want to keep mothers anywhere close to sort of being interested in flowering. You want to keep them usually under 24 hour light. Uh, the one the one case where I think most people do agree on 24 hour schedules is for mother rooms. So um that's probably not the best idea to be running that close to the line sort of uh, with mothers and getting pre-flowers developing and stuff like that. Especially older mothers. I find reveg too is a good time for 24 hours. Yeah, no, without doubt. Reveg is a good time for 24 (laughs) hours. Mothers is a good time for 24 hours, but it's not a great time for doing the the gas lamp routine. It's not a good time for trying to see how much darkness you can, you can. Oh my God. Could you imagine trying to reach reveg something under gaslight? Yeah, it's never going to reveg. That would be a good, a good challenge, but no, not for anybody that actually wants to get a harvest this year. Five years later at (laughs) reveg. Yeah. The um, mother idea is definitely I don't think ever going to work with gas lamp for sure. And the other thing about mothers is if you think about everybody I've seen run a successful operation that has mothers or even taking clones, they've always told me you want the healthiest, best clones. You want the healthiest mothers possible to get started on your next run. And many of them will even kill off a lot of like the weaker clones that don't root well or fast and they're not vigorously growing or whatever it is. So why would you want to put your mother in a situation where Messing with the light cycle like that, I know for a fact you can measure it. And I don't know, I have like a paper offhand, but the hormone levels from light to darkness are vastly different. Yeah. And like bricks and everything is going up and down, up and down throughout the day. So having it go from light to dark and light to dark with like such quick on and offs, like it's definitely not, it hasn't evolved to do that. It doesn't do that anywhere in nature. So you're, you're pushing the plant to do something that's, you're really asking a lot of it to get a very marginal return at, at best. So so, I think we've put the nail on the coffin on the gas lamp for sure. Brian asked one more question. He asked this, what if you bump DLI during the 13 day hour smudge? So the way you would do that, Brian, is by increasing PPFD, uh, but you can't. I mean, I- unless you're running sort of seriously under the level of PPFD that you should be already. We're already, uh, a well-optimized grow is already sort of pushing at the limits of PPFD. So the other dimension there is how long you leave the lights on because you can't just turn the lights up. So I just want well, and, and doc, you made that point to me in the past and I didn't get it at first. I was like, well, I could just run 1500 PPFD for 11 hours and or 12 hours and then plus the one hour dark. But then like you kind of put it in, in a way that makes a lot of sense. It's like, well, we're already running kind of close to that maximum. So like, yeah. let's say it's 1500 with CO2 or a thousand without CO2 for 18 hours at a thousand. That's like really damn high DLI. And if you're just doing a thousand for 12 hours plus one or even 1500, it's not going to hit that level. Or you're going to run it to a point where it's right. so high during that short period that you're going to be stressing the plant with just a sheer overload of trying to get to the same DLI as you would 
at a thousand for 18 hours in a 13 hour period. So it's um, exactly if you it's can literally physics, PPFD, then increase your PPFD, right? Uh, that's irrespective of the, the DLI that you're giving or of the lighting routine that you're giving. PPFD is not limited by duration. PPFD is just limited by carbon dioxide and the plant's ability to process light and photosynthesis. So as long as you're staying within those limits, but we're, right, exactly. We're already at pretty much those limits. We don't have a whole lot of room to just sort of increase density because we're decreasing duration. So yeah, you decrease duration, you decrease DLI. Major General 420 says Alaska gets 24 hours of light. Yeah, that does happen. That is different than the gas lamp routine though. I, I'm not arguing that uh, 24 hours of light it's doesn't happen anywhere. <laughs> it's, it's, I actually would love to see like an auto flower in a... Uh, nice little hoop house during that season in Alaska where they could kind of climate control it and just take advantage of the 24 hour light. I lived in Alaska. I would have auto flowers all the time. And then mm. when you're 24 hour light, is from there. That's where Jeff Lowenfels is from. And he's pushing them hard. That's, he's that uh, not only is he from there, did you guys hear the news? I heard he's running for ma- uh, running for uh, office. That's correct. Oh, wow. I wish him yeah. the best. Gardner Jeff. Yeah. Yep. I wish them all the best. We need more cannabis-friendly representatives. Indeed. And all I couldn't agree more. And off. he's a well-written gardening columnist for like 30 years there. He was writing about like tomatoes and other stuff as well. And I think that uh, getting people to grow their own food or flowers or just gardening in general is like an admirable career. He's written several books, Teaming with Microbes, Teaming with Nutrients, the whole Teaming with series. And uh, more recently, the grow- DIY super long title or whatever, Grow Your Own Outer Flower or whatever. It's like a Mm-hmm. seo title you know got a, a lot of words in there so people can search it up and find it and make sure they can order it up but he's a great guy Re- really quirky individual but um i love his passion man <laughs> oh jack well i don't know if i'd agree <laughs> with that statement i don't like you mischaracterizing our ally in politics <laughs> here he, i don't know I, quirky in a good way we and never maybe, we will maybe never, i'm mischaracterizing ever. him <laughs> i definitely no, enjoyed my, my debate with him i'm not sure that, that everybody enjoyed it as much as the two of us did but on this channel it. on the cheap home I, grow show um yeah. jeff and i had a, a debate about growing and a lot of these topics about growing autoflowers in alaska for example uh came up for sure you know, I don't know. what's that i just gonna, i was just gonna say that exclamation was just an excuse for me to make um uh, a very weird joke which is to say that um you know some people believe that if you're part of a certain uh community or group <laughs> interest group that's how you shouldn't criticize other people in your interest group and really i was just trying to make a point that uh that's a terrible plan <laughs> that's a terrible idea yeah um, we have so we I'm... have to be able to criticize within our own group I, yeah. I, I agree though that it is funny that people get mad if anybody criticizes others within the same group a lot of the yeah. time mm-hmm. i was yeah, gonna yeah. i'll criticize i think he's a little closed-minded on the leaf strip uh whole idea yeah personally i mean because yeah i even came at him with examples of other plants that once they've got eaten, slightly eaten by animals they thrive much better from that loss after that, that. so immune response. He didn't, yeah, he didn't. He has no, you know, he had no interest of learning about any of that stuff. But whatever, it's all good. I'll say you my personal anecdotal experience. I tried his method of not taking a single leaf off the plant for several grows, and I now lean more towards that end of the spectrum than stripping the shit out of my plant. Yeah, I'm not saying leave the leaves. Yeah, listen to I, that. I would have to throw grows. down with Jeff on this one. Yeah, 
God knows, that, that, but you know, but just to not even uh, entertain or want to take in certain other knowledge, I don't know. Uh, right, as we get older, yeah, we get more understanding the data I have, um, um, and be willing have... to, to try to sort of communicate that, meet the person you're talking to where they are, right? Um, not so just I have over the head. I, I, ha I have my own wet, white whale. Uh, if you guys like to talk about it, if you have yeah. A of a subject sure but before so, we move uh, past this matthew i just want to say team leaf strip all the fucking way <laughs> go ahead no 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 it's like like we said earlier it's important that we're able to to make those assessments so um i'm going to do it this way here i'll say before uh, while you pull that up if i had a thousand plants i would be as afraid to pull more leaves off of them than when i've just got a couple plants in my home grow um it's easier if you can, in a commercial space, pack hundreds or thousands of plants into a space and then leaf strip so that the humidity and everything is uh, dialed in compared to like in a home grow space. I think there's a significant difference from commercial cultivating to uh, home cultivating. But there's I still so want to see the values in leaves. Both, both people could be right. Yeah. That's true. It's very situational. Actually, that, in fact, what you just said, Tao, is exactly the reason why I'm bringing this up. So uh this um this is actually a really cool subject i've talked about it before but it's this concept called um you know mechano stimulation or thigmo priming is sometimes what it's called um thigmorphogenesis here this is a paper called mechanical stress acclimation in plants linking hormones and somatic memory to thigmomorphogenesis so somatic is like um you know to do with your body and movement uh well i mean I play too much D&D, but the point that I'm trying to make here is that there's this idea with plants, vibrations, right? Ooh, what a word. A lot of people put a lot of um, weight on the words like frequency and vibration. And uh, if, you, if you ask me, I feel like sometimes it is um, uh, really great. It's really great for poetry, but maybe it doesn't always mean that something is amazing or great or whatever. Um, and this is no different. I actually think so. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. There's really interesting research that shows that um, wind, even um, sonic uh, waves, so sonic vibrations, so, you know, like that move through the air um, can actually be picked up by things like trichomes. It can be picked up by, you know, other sorts of tissues. And of course, when you move near a plant, you obviously can affect the plant. And if you like bend some tissues, or I think there's a, there, I think there's a picture here. If there's not, um, then I apologize. Actually, it is not here, it's in a different one. But um, basically, obviously people might not know this, but, but when you actually bend or cut leaves or, uh, you know, do these sorts of things, there, there is actually, genetic expression change that happens in response to that and depending on what plan we're talking about and under other contexts that might be affecting it this can have a lot of really interesting sort of effects like you mentioned Tao that that people can um you know they can cause sort of a stress response and the thing the, the thing that gets me is that sometimes people talk about this subject and um specifically in regards to using it as a way to prime the immune system of plants. And I think this is actually a really under underutilized and under conceptualized thing because when people hear vibrations and health, 
I think they go and they think something pseudoscientific. And I understand why that is, because I've been exposed to people who I think make claims that are, you know, not particularly um, practical, you know, but they use these buzzwords. Um, but what is interesting is that it is definitely true, though. Like here, I'll, I'll, I'll put it where we at the uh, abstract here. Um, down here, we say. I saw uh, buzzing bees and that was enough to create a response in the plants. Yeah, absolutely. Or there's a electrostatic, like if you ever wonder why a lot of bees, like bumblebees, honeybees, and, and other solitary bees have a lot of hair, um, even hoverflies and other insects can pick up uh, sort of electrostatic cues. They're kind of like the antennae, yeah. Well, no, on their hair. Not, not as much on their antennae, but right, that right, does happen too somewhat. The, yeah. the little hairs are like antennas of frequency, right, of some sort? Well, not, on, not their antennas, but the actual. I don't know. Well, some well some insects, actually bees in particular, ants. Um, they all some of them have special glands that are magnetoreceptive, right? And some some have it more than others too. But yeah, that's a great point. So like, there is actually something to this here. In the abstract, they say we provide insights regarding one the regulatory mechanisms induced by single or prolonged events of mechanical stress, two how mechanical stress confers transcriptional memory. So that we're talking about um, basically like genetic expression that is elicited in response to the same um, triggers to induce cross acclimation to future stress. And three, why thigma morphogenesis might resemble an epigenetic phenomenon. So something that you would see passed on um, through from parent to offspring, actually, if you're able to do it enough. And the thing is, is that um, sometimes I see this is depicted as like, uh, you know, oh, the frequencies are the good vibes and it's all just about that. <laughs> and it's a little bit of a platitude, I think. But um, the, the thing is, is that you are actually inducing stress in the plant when, when you are doing these things. I wish there were better pictures to be able to uh, illustrate this point. They have one down here. Um, that we could use, I could make this a little bit bigger. Uh, this is not a very great picture at all, but um, these are all the various things here, like rain, wind, bending, uh, touch, bees, right? Herbivory, of course, uh, you know, even like the, the uh, vibrations of like mandibles chomping but on are leaves. We, are we trying to assume that stress is a bad thing in this situation? Because I, I would argue that not always, that's not always the case. Not for what we're growing. I, th for. I don't think he's saying it's a bad thing. I think he's saying it can bring out expressions within the plant and the plant definitely realizes like even just bending it or even like a vibration. So like a bee buzzing next to it, it knows. Or like, for an example, like my buddy Vegan Doja sings to his plants and a lot of people think it's silly, but like maybe there is something to it and his plants are vigorous. Maybe it's what he selected or where he's at. But like, I think there it's, it's everything, you know, it's, it's, it could be a very small percentage of what makes it special, but it could be that little extra 1%. Like you say, Jack, some things might have no effect, and we might think that they have an effect because they have an emotional sort of resonance with ourselves. To, to use the term myself, you know, you might you might compose music like me, and you might want to play your music for your plants, or you might, I don't know, record your heartbeat and play it for your plants. But that doesn't like that doesn't mean necessarily that's even going to be recognized or, or have the effect that you intend for it to have, even though it gives you 
um, good fifis. Does that make sense, kind of? So like um, here, for example, if you Figma prime too much for certain plants, I mean, you're inducing a, a major stress response. Like plants don't typically get exposed to like, uh, you know, a device that might like either like inundate with them with sonic vibrations or literally vibrate them by physically shaking the, the stem and the leaves. Like that's not a thing that happens. Um, it is though. There's a guy who makes a scrog that shakes it on Twitter. It's like the, but not in uh, nature, of course. Yeah. You know, I know it's just interesting now that people have created these devices. There's another one that twisted roots uses. It plays like bird chirps and other nat like natural sounds to his plants. And um, it's been advertised as a product for many, many years. I'm trying to, I've been scrolling through his YouTube trying to find the name of this product, but I cannot find it. So go ahead. Oh, I'd be curious to, to hear more about these things. Cause I do think there's, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, there are, there's something here. There's definitely some interesting like effects here that I think we as cultivators could make use of. Um, but I think we have to be cognizant of the fact that like the thing that's happening, right? So they get these vibrations and again, it's not magical. There's like a, there's a mechanistic response that happens. There's receptors at a cellular level that, um, you know, that sort of signal other plant hormone changes and these sorts of things. You can even see here in the diagram, right? Um, uh, where is it here? Yeah, histone modification, which is often referred, you know, sort of related to epigenetics, uh, jasmonic acid mediated priming, you know, so like there are hormone responses to these effects, but like that's true if you use a phytohormone, that's true if you have pests that are, that are eating your plants that of course will also stimulate these things to some degree. Cutting, trimming your plants will have this effect. Um, but you know, it's all in moderation, right? Like if you do too much or too little, if you prime a plant, you're telling the plant to take its resources and do this with them. When perhaps if it didn't have that stimulus, it would do another thing or multiple other things. And this could be really great. If for example, you know that you're gonna have a certain stress occur and that if you use this frequency, if you prime with this sort of stimulation uh, stimulus, then I think it's actually very valid that you could prime a bunch of constitutive defenses. Uh, you, you could, could test it. I was sense. gonna um I like a side the, by side. The one that's twisted was used, and I'm pretty sure is the siding bloom, and that was yeah. um first introduced to like ag, ag farmers in the Midwest. And you know, I don't know if it's you know snake oil, but the one guy claims it definitely works and it kind of mimics bird sounds. And I, I think it's supposed to like wake the plants up quicker and have them. I don't know exactly all of it, but yeah, it's it's weird sounds coming from speakers that you put out. They put them out in these agricultural fields, like, you know, loud. So it's interesting stuff, sure. The other product was called Ganja Grid that I was talking about earlier, the vibration-controlled scrog. And I think, like, I've talked about in the past, like a fan on a plant versus a plant that doesn't have any wind blowing on it. The plant that's next to the fan is going to have a thicker stalk and thicker side branches. And Definitely I've seen that side different. by side. Yeah. So I think with the ganja grid, I'd love to see like same cut grown in like a four by four with the ganja grid versus like the, a regular scrog and see how it changes. Cause like what pheno expressions would it change? Cause like Matthew's paper is highlighting this stuff is, is impacting, 
things like jasmonic acid, uh, phenotypic expression, other things that are um, really difficult to measure. And like, you'd have to do lots and lots of tests side by side to really parse out exactly how each one of these, like just like a, a vibrating frog is one independent variable that you could do a test on. The other one is that uh, sonic bloom or other sounds but even like I let my cats graze on my plants as part of like the stress testing, because I think of that as like something that happens in nature, animals come up and chomp off leaves. Like how is the plant going to respond to that? Like, what does that do? So it's interesting to uh, include these little things when you can in your testing yeah. and experimenting. And I won't hold you guys hostage for long with this topic. I just, I guess my, my closing thoughts is that um, I, I would like the, I would like the romantic idea of like, frequencies and vibrations that are used in this sort of um this sort of poetic context which is totally valid not and even i <laughs> i say good vibes all the time so like i'm just as culpable but um i think there's something really cool here and if we if we sort of pay attention to the scientific research i think that i think that people could really make use of it but i think that it's possible that some of the things that may, has made it popular uh, they might not actually have the effects that we think they do, whereas others might actually be really, really, really useful, even if it's somewhat contextual. And then, of course, at the very end here, yeah, ultimately what you are doing is you're causing these hormone responses and other sort of responses to happen in the plant, which maybe you could achieve with a less expensive sort of um, stimulus, you know, um, or maybe you can do something with the thigma priming in particular, that's very highly niche and specific. Um, that could be really awesome that you couldn't use with like a, a phytohormone or some other sort of maybe nutrient supplement or other input. So I just think that's a really interesting topic. And I'm curious to hear more about this. If anyone in chat has experiences or research or ideas, um, I find it very fascinating. I just wanted to chip in that I love seeing new new ideas like that and i just encourage people whether you're you know, especially in a home growth situation where it just doesn't it's not super costly you know to try something out just try it next to your old way try one plant you know and and just find <laughs> there goes my dog again seriously but uh just try it because it, everybody's situation is different too so it may work great in your situation it may not work great but try it because then you'll know you could say, no, I tried that and I did, I got X, Y, Z results. And so I went to this way, you know, just pick whatever works best in your situation, but try it, give it a try. I could see a little bit of both sides. Um, like with the technologies and experimenting with them and maybe they have an effect, but maybe they don't. Um, but like one thing I mentioned, Twisted Roots, like he uses the Sonic Bloom, but he also implements a lot of other stuff. Like he uses the uh, 23 gemstones in his water. And he also uses a very powerful magnet in his water. And those are three things I would like to see independently tested yeah. of one of yeah. another. Because maybe the gemstone you know, fragments have micronutrients. I don't know if they do or don't. Maybe. I'm sure none of that hurts. But I'm pretty sure he also adds like real nutrients and uh, treats his plants well on, you know, in a regular way as well. Yeah, he does. He uses yeah, like yeah, yeah. organic so soil plus bloom yellow bottles and he's doing a whole lot of yeah. other stuff. But to, to give him some credit, in oh, Michigan, yeah. a lot of people struggle outdoor and he has some monster ass California looking ass plants and he gets some pretty big ass harvest out there. So he's doing something right. So it's like I, I do like to give at least uh, some thought and credence to maybe there is something behind it, which one of those things. And the fourth thing that I didn't even mention yet, he breeds his own shit. 
he's mm-hmm. specifying it to that area stuff that did better last year. He keeps around, he breeds it into his next thing. So when you're doing that, there are factors that on top of the gemstones and on top of the sonic bloom and on top of the, uh, you know, magnet in the water, it, it's really hard to parse out what exactly is leading to the success, but it's uh, interesting to take note of, I guess, a lot of the things that you don't necessarily see that across all successful people, but uh, some people, maybe that's their little <laughs> secret well, sauce or whatever. See, the only thing is, is that I see some people get, they stagnate themselves as growers because they'll learn one system that works for them, which is great. And, but never try anything new. So you'll have people still running HPS lights, for example. And it's like, you can make your life so much easier. You could grow the same amount of weed and save, you know, it's paid so much less on your electrical bill if you would just, you know. And so I would just, I see stuff like this all the time. And so I don't want people to get closed-minded about things. And like, I love when people bring up new things. And even though I can't try every single thing there is out there, I've tried an awful lot of things and I, and I go with what works for me, so. Like yeah, nuance is super important. Oh, sorry, I didn't there's want to talk. No, I was just gonna say, and they're still going on in, about leaf strip and chat, and people can't even agree on what a leaf strip is. So I mean, yeah, yeah, but <laughs> smart, <Exactly>. you know, <laughs> there's the right way, at which is my way, and then there's everybody right. else's way. So we want to make sure. <laughs> of we, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, but I know Doc was about to say, yeah, you don't want to rock the boat too much, right, Doc? If you know but what you're you doing, you don't want to chase every new fad. But you also don't want to get stuck in your ways, right? You want to be right open on. to new evidence, but you don't want to be sort of chasing every new fad and gimmick and, and looking for every Absolutely. new shortcut necessarily. That's why I, I said try one plant, not your whole garden. Just try one and, and see. Yeah. Just see for yourself. Yeah. Exactly. Am I out of touch? No, the kid's wrong. You know, I'll I'll, I'll even ex- I'll give an example. It's very recent. <laughs> um, you know, somebody asked me for evidence that, like Empirical evidence, like I often do that uh, predatory mites work, that certain predatory mites work against uh, hemp russet mite. And I'll, there's not any research about that, but I recommend that they work because of my experience, uh, when I apply them and only them, uh, they have routed uh, russet mite populations. But I have to commend someone who's asking for empirical research. And it's actually my hope that the details about that will be more, um, you know, better articulated in the next few years as people, well, for one thing, there are definitely private entities, well, commercial entities that have private research that probably meets some of this nuance out, but they don't want to share that for strategic reasons. But, um, you know, I, I just think that's a very valid thing to ask for always. And I'm actually very, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saddened that I can't give people better empirical data on that because I pride myself on on sourcing that so much. And in my, and in my experience, like, especially with biocontrols, uh, you know, if you've, if you've ever read about the history of biocontrol use in agriculture generally, then you would know that it's rife with so many examples of people not using them appropriately, even the people who are experts in their use. Um, and it took a lot of time and money and, and resources and trials to see that like, you could even use some in many cases, but not all. Some cases they won't work out very well. Other cases they work really uh, quite a bit better in. Um, so context, nuance, obviously goes without saying sometimes, but this is very important, right? They're also an expensive so what you're option saying? and it doesn't yes. get tested super often. And like hemp is understudied. It has been around for a long time. It's more studied than cannabis in some regards, as far as cultivation in recent history. 
but hemp russet mite is not one that there's a ton of efficacy to yet. maybe there is on other sprays that i'm not familiar with but um sprays there are so, some there's some research for sure but the all predator might thing i just think they need to do more research and it, yeah. it's just going to be a little while until that gets done sorry Jeff, go ahead. sorry no i'm sorry for stepping on everybody but so basically what you're saying is just because there is an empirical evidence and a white paper stating that something is true it could still be true crystals is all i'm saying right <laughs> well i would say even if there's research to show that something does work that it doesn't it's even not necessarily that it in all cases right on 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. sometimes and, it can and, be an uh, indication that it's actually uh not accurate because who is conducting some, the research yeah That's i just, yeah, i have empirical evidence i've got some yeah. i've got some crystals in my uh potted spider plant and it has produced so many babies so it it, it the Matthew, help me with this. My favorite word that you use with mites, vacundity. What is it? Vacundity. The vacundity that it fucking imparts onto my spider plant is amazing. So I, I will give you that empirical evidence for that. So I'll give you that. Well, go. Crystal, we got to have a, details, man. Was it amethyst? It's a white. It's like a. It's like an opaque white crystal. I don't know. Mm. That sounds like the right one. My crystal yeah, finally lost right. the test. It was like six grows in a row. Um, I had a lithium quartz from, uh, I can't even think of their name. They changed their name on Instagram, but yeah, I got gifted hard. a lithium quartz and I put it in, I had like three plants every single grow or two plants every grow. And like every time the one that had the crystal was the better plant. And I'd like try to, you know, switch around like the positioning, like it'd be on the right side of the room and then it'd be on the left side of the room and then it'd be in the center of the room or whatever. And I was thinking, you know, maybe I'm just being biased and like giving that one more attention or whatever. And like, I just, I treated them all kind of exactly as I, I was trying to get the best out of every single plant. And like, this was the first grow I finally had where the crystal plant did not outperform. So yeah, the, the streak is broken. I let the imports need to be recharged. Joe, no, you have to have somebody else bury the crystal like in the pot before you put the plant in it. So you don't know which pot it's in and then you won't oh, be able to. that's an excellent Here's the problem with that. And then you won't know Here's until after you've harvested and excavated, you'll be looking for the crystal. Oh, you know I mean? you, need a you can do that. Yeah. And people have done that. You can find the roots grow around it. And when they excavate the roots, the crystal yeah. is like wrapped up. I hope but like um, then was it. it the best plant? I mean, then, you know, you've taken out the gardener bias factor. Because I was thinking to, that the whole time he was talking. Witches, and I was though. like, that fucking crystal is channeling, channeling your energy and you know where it's at. So it's kind of cheating. It might just be your energy. That's right. You it got may have been that, but I listened to my, my hippie witches. Shout out to the hippie witches. And uh, they used to have uh, their show, but they don't do it anymore. Amber Lulana, who is... Uh, with Twisted Roots, they live together now. Um, and she told me and, and many other people on their weekly show that talked about like witches and crystals and things like that, that if you use a crystal in the type that I had, it was like a, a cylinder with like a, a point to plant it into the soil so that it was up and down like a, like a, a pyramid or what's like an obelisk, obelisk, you know, like, yeah. And that way the energy would be able to shoot down to the roots and then up through the plant. That's so I always did that. Obelisks, it always worked. To do the same thing, channel power into the ground. So I don't know. I think that you could also bury them, but I then went to the next step of, I bought lithium quartz for every pot. And the one quartz that she sent me was somehow better than the other ones. Cause even when all of them got it, that one was like the winner every time, every time. And now I'm thinking, I just need to maybe recharge it under a full moon or something. Cause I've heard that also is a way oh, to she's uh, probably get the power. Charged, of you know, part, imparted some of her uh, spirit into herself. And it's going to be hard to replace that. You're not a witch. 
I'm not. Jack, so yeah, Lady Greenstalk so yeah. though. On the other hand, yeah, there you go. I've Lady Greenstalk working. She has but, it in her family. I, like her grandpa was a, a businessman, and he carried around a little black cat in his suitcase for good luck, which everybody else thinks is like bad luck. And I guess it's like a Wiccan thing. I, I don't know too much about this stuff, and I'm way out of my element here. But it's it's fun to <laughs> wax poetic yeah, about the Wiccan believe that the, just generally speaking, the Wiccan believe that uh, like their um, what do you want to call it, their god or their source of power. It's in everything that's living, which I think is a fucking wonderful concept, honestly. Like the earth. It's all yeah. about like yeah. natural so, energy, yeah. the planet. I think that's a fucking great concept, honestly. I, 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 I'm interested in just different world religions, all, all religions, and, and I studied it for a while. And when I fell upon Wiccan, uh, I really loved some of the, I'm not going to say everything, but I, was, I really loved some of their, uh, some of their concepts. It was really fucking cool. You know, when I think, you know, when people make uh, certain statements about like, uh, uh, how do I put this, different uh, populations of humans having different tendencies towards certain religious groups through history and that sort of a thing. I know that's super big, but I guess what I'm trying to say is like Wicca, Wiccans and sort of similar other um, uh, ideologies that like the Druids from, uh, from Britain, for example. Um, and even the ancient Romans to a degree, um, just having this sort of like idea that like, you know, there's like, there's sort of this animism, right? I think that's actually very touching. And also, I, I wonder a lot if, um, if that had, if that ideology had become more widespread, would we have some like, you know, how could that have, you know, very radically changed, you know, human development across the earth and, um, maybe we wouldn't have deforested so much, you know, and other sorts of things like that. So um, I definitely am a big supporter of, of that perspective. And um, I think that some people have an idea that only certain groups of people had this sort of belief system. But um, uh, no, I, I would say that a lot of groups went through an animistic and still do um, sort of a perspective. But I think <laughs> that's treading a little too much on Dr. Coco's uh, purview but um <laughs> I, you know i find that very interesting i'll say that it, crystals as much as we like to joke about them they're used in like high technologies every cell phone has a liquid crystal there's quartz and some but like liquid crystal technology is used to make your antenna functional so one of the things that they recycle your cell phones is to get the crystal out and reuse it so it's definitely part of like science and technology it has properties like it the way the energy flows through a crystal like actual energy, like electricity uh, flows through it and, and waves like radio waves and, and signals. There are certain properties of certain crystals that act a certain way. So I think like, and a lot of people have experimented with like running copper to their plants to like ground them or even just like copper, more copper in the soil and things like that. Like, I think there's a lot we'll maybe find out in the future, but until I, not to say that there needs to be a white paper, I'd like to see a white paper that would like specifically kind of look at how do crystals, if they have an impact on plants, what is that impact? How do they impact them? Like, is it impacting the EC? Is it impacting the ability to take up water in some way? Is it just the electrical charge? Like, I know um, people talk about like redux um, potential of plants. And so it's it's definitely interesting, like the pH versus EH. Um, Sorry, Jack, we don't have money for that. We got to spend money on uh, the spending habits of middle-aged women instead, because we need to know that instead. Oh, they just got to push it recreational so then they can start making tax money and then <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely spending right. that so well. But not to get too uh, political, 
<laughs> but yeah, yeah. Man. every time I see millions of dollars spent on some studies, I'm like, really, really? Like, what motivates a rat to do this? I'm like, really? We're we're spending money on that now. I'm well, sorry, the problem there are people that love that kind of science, but I mean, and I work in the MLS. Let we me just speak up. For, hold on, can I chime in here? We're spending just a hell of a lot science. less money than we used to spend on primary research and primary science to sort of advance humans' understanding of the world around us. So I support scientific research and study in all the disciplines across everything. I'm not going to sort of complain that that one discipline or subject is getting more or less study. I think we need to devote, that's one of the great things about human civilization is that we've been able to advance the knowledge. And we never really know what practical applications a lot of scientific studies are going to come up with or how it might be economized. You know, I got my PhD in a field that a lot of people challenge whether or not there's a lot of money to be made or what you're going to go on to do with that later on. That's true. We, we understand more about what makes us human we understand more about sort of all of the different relationships around that so i support those sociological and anthropological studies i just want i've been able to connect with with my um my cultural history through exactly that kind of research and i mean i think that that's really and and i'll make this other point too is that i i also try to be very like uh dispassionate not to say that i don't appreciate this kind of stuff but I know that's research and sometimes even research is not totally accurate or we don't know and I try not to I'm trying not to extrapolate too much right because you know I think that's very healthy especially for this sort of subject but um, I think it's incredibly important Um, and I also will slightly disagree with Dr. Coco and say that uh, I am going to complain I don't like that uh, uh, in this very small niche I don't like that there's uh, less emphasis on taxonomists, people who look into, you know, it's all molecular biology now. You're, you know, I hear you, but overall funding levels have collapsed, Matthew, and that's created yes, that's true. universities that's and true. research institutions to make really tough decisions to follow where the money is, to follow the, true. the, the past where they can get corporate grants and stuff like that. That's part of, of the problem. I mean, when did that allocation happen? exists because of the, the reduction in overall volume. When did that switch start to, right? start to occur? Because like, to my knowledge, like it's been published or perished for my lifetime, which isn't very long, but science as of late has been a lot financially motivated and not always, uh, and yeah. I want it to be better. I love science. I'm pro science. I'm pro research, but I work in and around like animal labs. And then after graduating, find like, for one example, cancer research. Uh, lab mice, like Spartan was talking about, do we need to keep spending millions of dollars on research for lab mice? Well, one criticism of lab mice is that they have either really long or really short telomeres. I can't remember which one, but if you Google it, look into it, telomeres are like they have to do with your DNA, the length of the strands, things like that. As you get older, it longevity. creates yeah. issues with longevity, like cancer. So a lot of the research that was done on cancer studies that were claims found in mice they, they get cancer way quicker. So like their lifetimes are super short, super quick cycles. They get cancer really young. And we were extrapolating information from lab mice onto humans because we're both mammals and lab mice have a lot of similarities neurochemically. I, I studied psychology. A lot of their neurotransmitters co- correspond with human neurotransmitters. So you can say like, okay, dopamine is up, then they're going to be happier or uh, neuro, you know, serotonin's up. They're going to be more stimulated. All these things correspond that you could give a mouse caffeine and watch its energy levels rise and then give it limonene or linalool and watch it calm down. So there's a lot of things that actually make sense to do, but like cancer research, 
is one in particular that I'm very <laughs> critical of because one, I think cannabis is understudied for that particular purpose. And I think that is very strongly evidence. If you look at cureyourowncancer.org, there are thousands of people now that have posted their before and after scans and using cannabis. And I have fucking a, evidence right here within reach and fucking, you know. Yeah, I have dozens of cares. anecdotal stories, but like when you get into the thousands, you go to cureyourowncancer.org, they have scan. When I got diagnosed, stage four cancer, I was told I have three months to live. And then here's their 50%. I started That's taking what I'm I have. Yeah, I have the, that for all for my uncle. I've got that shit. It's not anecdotal. I mean, I've got the fucking paperwork. Well, anecdotal me technically me. means it's like from our own personal experience, right? So, oh, like, see. but yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. But I'm just saying, so, yeah, I've got that. It wasn't a study. Shit. It wasn't like a large long term study. But when you get you're thousands right. of those anecdotal stories, to me, it becomes less anecdotal when you can go and look up lung cancer on curioncancer.org and then find 150 people who have scans before and after here's when i took rso here's how much i took and then to see that we're funneling millions of dollars into lab research for mice and then to have some researchers saying hey maybe we should stop this for cancer because their telomeres are way shorter or way longer and that makes the cancer research not particularly accurate so keep sometimes doing the psychology the things that you're studying sometimes the things that you're looking at have nothing to do with telomeres though but still have to do with cancer right well I, it's just I as a, a one example and maybe i'm not well versed enough in this to be even talking about it and that's probably the case but it's um well one thing my main argument is, is that a lot of are not like, rats. Money, yeah humans, humans aren't, aren't rats, rats. It's true. my main issue was that tax dollars just generally like dr coker saying aren't enough going to research at all any research so enough, like if we pay taxes, a bunch of that's going to a lot of programs and we could break down and criticize whatever, whatever, wherever that's going, but not a lot of it's research generally at all. And of that small amount, even smaller amount is cannabis. And even smaller amount of that is like benefits of cannabis. It's like how, how addicting is cannabis? How much uh, secondhand bong smoke causes cancer? Like that's what they're researching. They're not looking into frustrating because when you try to legitimize it and you go to a professional, like a doctor or you go to a politician and you try to advocate for cannabis and they say, well, there's no evidence. And you're like, you just want to scream at the top of your lungs. Because it's like, (laughs) man, it's like a big round circle that you you go. And it's just like, Oh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention granny storm crow where they've got the largest pool in my opinion of cannabis research like you could go to google scholar and type in cannabis medicine but if you go to granny storm crow they'll tell you here's irritable bowel syndrome and 50 studies from 2010 to 2022 that show you lab research done with sometimes double blind placebo like real high level some of the best documented if you want like real real good research go to granny storm crow's list just google granny storm crow and it'll pop up and uh, look up symptoms and you can go A to Z, any symptom you have, click I, go to insomnia, you'll find insomnia and a whole list of CBN studies, THC studies, pain, whatever it is, like you can find it. So it's out there. Ethan Russo, Ethan Russo recently did a brilliant presentation uh, on the Cornell YouTube channel, which you should all check out, um, that goes over cannabinoid pharmacology. And one of the cool things, one of the cool takeaways I had heard earlier before actually is to give more of a cannabis uh, to keep going forward um, was that CBD is not sedating, but stimulating unless in like massively high doses. And again, this kind of comes back to, I think a lot of the theme of what I was bringing up with the Thigmo morphogenesis, which is the idea that like there's a stereotypical depiction and we associate this effect with a certain compound. Um, 
but because we didn't do double blind, you know, because we're not we're not using controls and we're not isolating these things. And people will criticize that isolations aren't what happened in nature. Yeah, okay. But like you're trying to find out what the compound specifically does. And of course, people make this point that like then when you bring it back into the 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 larger group, you can kind of make better inferences as you as you continue that research. So but it's important to know what the isolated effects can be. Uh, and yeah, a lot of people say that CBD helps mellow you out, but actually cannabidiol is stimulating, uh, according to him. And uh, the research that he cites that he, he has talked about is very interesting in that way. And the real insult to injury um, with regards to the research that you said and the, the many millions of dollars we spend, even though it is collapsing, like Dr. Coco was saying, is that <laughs> a lot of that is to do with labor right? Because labor is, is typically like the biggest or one of the biggest, although in this case, perhaps equipment is a close second um, for, for the expenses for research. And like, I don't know, I think that's like, that's hugely ironic and insulting because it's like, you don't want to pay the actual specialists we even investigate in the first place, you know? So I just think that's kind of unfortunate, but I'm biased. A lot of my friends are scientists. Yeah. And I want to make it an important distinction about, um, you know, we just briefly covered the RSO and cancer. And I'm not making a statement that, you know, RSO, although I do believe that RSO can help defeat cancer, I think that the best combination that we have available to us right now is conventional medicine plus RSO, because I think the real, the real power on RSO with cancer specifically, um, with my experience with it, is like, the devastation that the conventional medicine does to your body, the RSO kind of helps you heal from that. And it helps you, your body move on from that. So, um, and I, I'm sure it's still helping with the cancer and everything else, but I think it really shines with helping get rest, helping to get um, uh, a settled stomach and get an appetite and help your body really do the healing. And that's the big, big power of it, you know, and bring down inflammation. All those things, I think, is what really is the power of RSO when it comes to fighting cancer. And that, but that's coupled with conventional medicine. I don't, I'm not suggesting to say, you know, fuck conventional medicine. I'm not saying that at all. I think that's a really valid and nuanced point. Um, uh, you know, in fact, I think there's a specific name for the kind of uh, application that you're describing for the RSO, but this escapes me at the moment. I just um, want to jump in. Go ahead. Well, the funny thing is, I was kind of shitting on lab studies in cancer. Reflecting on it, RSO, Rick found a lab study on lab mice about how THC destroys or causes apoptosis in cancer cells in mice. Russo, too. So um, that was what inspired him to make RSO for the first time to treat his own skin cancer. And years later, he's helped thousands with it. And the name RSO, Rick Simpson oil is kind of famous because of that whole uh, incident. So yeah, it is ironic, I guess, that I was criticizing it so heavily when it has uh, been a big part of my personal medicine use and also belief that the cannabis medicine is so strong. One of the things I wanted to mention on top of what you're talking about, Spartan, was I think that the RSO helping the sleep and a lot of the healing being done in sleep. And I'm probably gonna get a lot of shit for this, but um, not to disagree with what you said, but I'm not a big fan of chemotherapy. I don't think chemotherapy works. 
I think if somebody can send me a study that says chemotherapy works at a high percent with cancer, please do. Because every bit of research I've looked into says that it's very like, we're talking like 6% on the high end and maybe 1% on the low end and it destroys people's bodies. The reason that cannabis was made medical in the state of California in 1996 was to help people with AIDS and cancer because chemotherapy, they were losing their hair. They were losing their appetite. They could not sleep. They were in pain. It helps with insomnia. It helped them sleep. It helped with the pain. It helped with the appetite. Um, well, anecdotally what, speaking, my mother uh, survived cancer of the lungs through chemotherapy. Well, and yeah, I know people that have survived cancer through chemotherapy too, Jack. So there are the numbers to back that up. I'm sure we can find you some studies to look at. And I, I'm just saying they might be part of the one to six percent in the research that i've done and chemotherapy one and of my other the, the specific cancer certainly and there's some cancers with very low survival rates there's others that are better That's treated true. with with radiation than chemotherapy but with a lot of cancers and the combination of radiation and chemotherapy usually they can be pretty successful so it, it, you know i, I would I, I just don't like to to maybe wander into those areas where we're not as sure of ourselves there's yeah, actually well, the one thing I, I want to throw out is that there's like several different cancers so to say the word cancer it is general so the maybe i was quoting a, a type of cancer that chemotherapy is not particularly right. effective against there, and, and there uh, are certainly are some i so, was just going to say i've seen evidence where there was this you know a doctor uh presenting that uh the combination of either chemo maybe even radiation but i think it was just chemo and cannabis together actually is super beneficial because the cannabis helps uh you know detract the negative effects of the chemotherapy and uh help the body just overall so you know maybe there's a coexistence that uh, is even better than independent definitely without a doubt i mean chemotherapy and radiation treatments are brutal on your body and and some people sometimes it, that alone the, the patient just isn't strong enough to sort of get through it and that the whole process can be such a drag that 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 can lead to their their demise um so cannabis in a lot of cases helps people become strong enough to be able to to sort of tolerate their treatments that, that would otherwise be sort of overwhelming to them so psychologically well, even when they die physiologically I think People overlook when somebody dies of cancer and they were using cannabis, they say, hey, look, this is proof can cannabis didn't work or, or chemo didn't work or this didn't work. Oh, yeah. The cannabis made them more comfortable for that month, week, year that they had to suffer through all those other really harsh radiation treatments and, and chemo treatments. So and the last thing I'll say on it is, uh, again, anecdotal story, but my track coach in college, he had prostate cancer. His dad died of prostate cancer. He did chemo and radiation and it didn't, his dad did chemo and radiation and it did not work for him. So he tried an alternative therapy, which is called proton therapy, which I believe is a more specific radiation. The way I've heard it described is they like shoot like a bullet, essentially if radiation only goes like a few centimeters and it hits the tumor or whatever. Mm. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. And um, it's pretty popular here in San Diego, I know at least. And he's still alive here and well, five years after and uh, his dad made it less than a year. And I think prostate cancer is one of them that's very low survival rate. I know like testic testicular cancer, fortunately, has like a very high survival rate. I know like everybody back in the day rocked the Live Strong bracelets, at least I did. Uh, Lance Armstrong brought a lot of awareness to it and a lot of progress I think was made. But um, it's one of those things that like breast cancer is also high survival rate. And I think partially because both of those 
sex organs on humans can be removed. And that gets rid of a lot of the cancer where like blood cancers, bone cancers, uh, brain cancers and things like that. You can't just remove your brain or your blood. You know, it's a, it's a different fight. So cancer is an incredibly um, wide and difficult topic to talk about. And I think that we did it tonight with a lot of <laughs> class and maybe I probably offended and rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but <laughs> I appreciate everybody for being respectful and open-minded in such a difficult discussion because this is one that I think is often not talked about because it's such a hard topic. Many of us have lost people. It's near uh, and dear to my heart, I know for sure. It's it's a it sucks. It it really sucks when you lose somebody, especially to such a terrible thing. You know. So thank you guys. That's all why, for... if there's even a hint, if it's true that RSO could prevent or uh, you know shrink tumors, I maintain that everybody should be eating some every day, and then it won't even get a chance to start. So, and whether or not that's scientific or not, I think you should do it anyway. So there, I think it's a preventative yeah. medicine. I'll, I'll agree with it on that front. And I, I do believe that if it can potentially cure it, then maybe it can prevent it from ever springing up. And I think the thing is, maybe we have it and we don't know it. Maybe you have stage one, maybe you have stage two and you, yeah. it starts killing it before stage three, before you ever notice a lump, before you ever notice that thing. I so really, it, it, this is, I think it okay. can help a lot. I'm going to take this time too to jump out too. But before that, I'm going to, I'm going to throw in my little Spartan woo woo. Cause you know, you guys got me in my feels today, but I really think that the power of the RSO or cannabis oil, we'll call it whatever the fuck we want to call it. I really think the power there too is um, in the mind. You're offering somebody hope where they had none and it gives them something to fight for. And it is, that's really the secret power there. And then obviously the medicinal power that comes with it actually does help. But I think people want to have to heal. They want to have to believe that they're going to get through it. Um, the uh, what's that effect called? Where they uh, when they do all these studies, the uh, placebo. The placebo effect <laughs> is real, and if you if you really believe that something's going to work, that goes a long fucking way. It really does. Agreed. I've seen it. I've seen it in my life. It's stronger than most medicines. That's why most medicines don't become a medicine is they can't beat the placebo effect. That's what it has to be Agreed. tested against. And people yeah. so often think the placebo is making them better. You have to be a really good medicine to become like a tested true medicine. So. Yeah, and there's no greater feeling in my life than somebody coming back healed. That's just fucking is so touching. So, I mean, just have a positive outlook and, and, and give them a reason to fight. And usually they do the rest and you just got to give them the medicine. So I'm going to fucking cry like a baby. So I'm going to get the fuck out of here, guys. <laughs> but I'm, I'm headed to the Mission Bros Grow Show. Catch me there. I'm talking to Dankovich. And God bless him because he donated me a bunch of hemp that he grew. And I've made uh, some CBD hemp RSO that I passed out a bunch to like Red, who just had a tooth surgery. So hopefully that's going to help him. And uh, he's using it with his family, passing out to family members who haven't don't have any experience with cannabis, but they're they're willing to try something that's CBD. So that shit just fucking makes me happy, and it's like soul food to me. So um, that's what we're going to be talking about next month. So uh, catch me out there. Thanks, guys. Awesome hanging with you. And uh, we'll see you next week. Peace, Peace out, and love, Spartan. Sure love, Spartan. Always good having you. And uh, definitely check out the Michigan Bros Grow Show and Dankovich. He's a great dude. I love following him over there, watching his uh, cat run around his hemp farm and uh, making some good medicine for the people out there. Cheers to Dankovich and to Spartan Grown. He's been a longtime advocate of RSO and the power of that medicine. I know him and I probably took off 80% of the show tonight, but... Uh, the short panel and the rest of these guys are so polite that they just let us ramble. So I appreciate you all being here. 
I know we've got a few minutes left and we did have a few questions earlier. So doc, I wanted to throw this one to you because it was specifically um, something that we talked about earlier. Crack Babies DWC says, uh, at Sheep Home Grow uh, for doc. So what about autos on a 24-0 schedule? Uh, so 24 hours on, zero off schedule at 1000 PPFD. It's like 84 moles. Is that okay? I'm sure you may have gotten to that in the chat earlier, but for the uh, I podcast didn't. Listeners. I actually missed that. I missed that chat. You know, <laughs> for starters, 1000 sort of the maximum for, for like a spot in your canopy. Um, if, if you're talking about an average of 1000 micromoles, um, you're already really, really pushing at the limits there. Um, but yeah, other than that caveat, um, if the plant can handle it for a few seconds, um, well, it's not totally true, but if it can handle it properly for a few seconds, then it can handle it the whole time. Um, you know, plants can deal with light that's too intense for, for shorter periods of time and, and not very efficiently. They're not sort of taking advantage of that light. They're avoiding it. Um, and, you know, right at a thousand, depending on your CO2 levels, I, I think you'd probably be pushing it. If you had an average PPFD at a thousand micromoles per square meter, um, I, I think you'd probably be pushing it. This is something I've thought about a lot because of the way that I test lights. I always set the maximum PPFD to be a thousand, which is fine. But as lights become sort of better able to keep uh, uniformity across the, the canopy and we're getting average PPFDs now above 900, I've been questioning, um, you know, this is gonna be putting a lot of pressure on people's plants. Um, I liken it a little bit, increasing your PPFD towards the limits is like driving a, a sports car, you know, along the Pacific Coast Highway on the cliffs above the ocean. Um, you know, there's a limit to how fast you can go, but if you go right up against that limit, you're pretty likely to drive off the edge of the road and into the ocean. Um, if you back off a little bit, you often can can get there sort of faster in the end. Um, but other than that, yeah, if it's a sustainable PPFD for 12 hours or for 18 hours, it will be a sustainable PPFD for 24 hours. And that's one of the big advantages that autoflowers do have. Um, particularly in, uh, you know, returns to space. In grow operations where returns to space are so important, more important than returns to electricity or returns to other sort of inputs that you'd be uh, sensitive marginal inputs, then you can get more production just because you can crank that DLI up, the DLI up so high with autoflowers during the flowering period because you can get them, you know, average of a thousand, like you're saying, or average of 900 um, for 24 hours instead of only for 12 hours. So you can literally double the, the quantum load that the plant's able to, to harvest. They certainly have a use in the commercial space. I, I won't argue that at all. Um, I think Mephisto, they did their own little tests, but that's what kind of started them on the autoflower breeding side of things. And yeah. Uh, I've just seen you know, the, the commercial growers are too afraid of the, the variability of the crop. I mean, that's the biggest thing right now that's holding it back is they want to be able to, you know, market large quantities of cannabis as being fairly identical. And when you're growing clones, you can do that. You'll have, you know, hundreds of pounds of one particular strain. Um, whereas if you're growing autos, 
Um, you know, growers I've talked to, do we have to keep each plant separate, you know, are we going to be able to intermingle all of this? Is it going to be similar enough? What's the phenotypic variation, those things. So I think as that dials in, in the breeding and as growers become more confident in the consistency of the seeds that commercial growers will start switching over to that in larger numbers. I had some three bears OG concentrate this, uh, past year, which is, a uh, autoflower in the California market, which, uh, showed me that there are commercial growers actually currently doing it. So not to say that's the main thing, it's still 99% auto, uh, photo period clones. And, uh, you know, they're doing it how most of us are used to seeing commercial, but it is interesting. And, um, this isn't like a plug cause I'm not sponsored by either Mephisto genetics or JBC seed bank. But if you're looking for Mephisto's genetics, which a lot of people that like autoflowers are, uh, JBC seeds has a lot of their kind of famous ones right now the creme de la cam the three bears og and a few others got restocked pretty recently and i'm not buying seeds right now but when i happen to be on their website uh looking for somebody else i saw them so i figured i'd pass that little note on to our community here because i know we've got a lot of growers out there that love buying and popping seeds so uh i figure who better than our listeners to go and get some really good seeds. And that's one of the breeders. Again, people always ask me who I approve of. That's a autoflower breeder out there that I'm a big fan of and uh, have smoked a lot of their stuff and been fond of it. Uh, and I wouldn't have said that about autoflowers five years ago or 10 years ago. So I'm happy to say that it has changed so much thanks to Mephisto's genetics and uh, people like um, Gnome Automatics and others out there who are doing really good work. So we're about eight minutes to the final part of the show, but uh, there's only four of us. So our wrap up will be relatively short. So we've got one question that we didn't get to earlier. Sour Diesel Tangi asks, well, we got probably got a bunch of questions we didn't answer earlier. Uh, I was totally wrapped up in the conversation tonight as usual, but um, yeah, the, I saw the other panelists take, holding it down on the uh, chat. And Sour Diesel Tangi asks, at Cheap Home Grow, this was about stress earlier. What about additives that induce a stress response? Winter frost, for example. So I've heard of winter frost, never personally used it. Not sure if anybody else on the panel has, but um, I know it's one of those things used at the end of harvest. But if it's anything like uh, I ran Heavy 16 for a little while and they had a product called Finish, which reminds me a lot of winter frost. And I'd have to pull up winter frost and pull up the MSDS and we've only got a few minutes left. So I'm not actually going to do that, but I would guess it's like soluble potash and like water for the most part. And it's more of like a flushing agent. And they're just trying to get your uh, EC or PPMs down towards the end. And I'd be surprised if there was like a specific chemical or something in there that they have done testing behind to find out that it produces stress within the plant and is creating more trichome coverage, but maybe they have, cause I know there's other stuff out there that people like to try and introduce and claim that it makes a stress response like some chitin products. So I'm interested to hear if uh, Doc or maybe anybody else has thoughts on the winter frost, winter frost stress response. Somebody, somebody asked earlier about whether beneficials could sort of stimulate a you know, beneficial effect in the plant. And I replied sort of similarly that, you know, good bug or bad bug, you know, if it does good thing for plant, it is good bug. And um, that's a Deng Xiaoping reference for the two of you who listen and know what that means. Um, basically, they have the same exoskeleton. They have chitin, like you said, Jack, and, and other substances that um, the plants will recognize and associate 
because they've evolved, co-evolved to do so with an insect or a mite or maybe even a, a beneficial fungus. And uh, even if they're doing beneficial stuff, the physiology is still like, you know, hey, you, that's chitin. You know, let me just upregulate these genes in case we get, uh, you know, in case there's a fungal pathogen, you know, um, to, to sort of say it sort of generally. So absolutely, I think that um, there's definitely many examples of that. With this product in particular, I'm, I have not used winter frost myself. I'm familiar with um, sort of what they're trying to do there. I, you know, it, it's tough to say. I'm not, I'm not a fan. I'm not interested in sort of using it myself. Uh, I can't necessarily shoot sort of a hole in it. There's, there's reasons it could provoke a response in the plant, certainly. And some growers might find that response to be desirable. Um, it's always also mitigated by the fact, and this sort of applies to what we were talking about in chat earlier, like putting the plants in darkness or other, these other things that you do towards the end that, you know, you've already grown the plants and they're already there. So um, the chances of really screwing something up are, are slightly diminished at the end of the grow. But I, yeah, these products, you know, I, I work, <laughs> was advising loosely a, a grower in um, sort of the, the gray market um, who was interested in these kinds of things. But he was interested in anything that just gave the bud more bag appeal. And he didn't really care if it made the, the cannabis higher quality or better smoke or something. He just wanted to sort of be able to sell it better. And I think if, if that's sort of what you're looking for in your crop, then that product might be something to check out. But other than that, I, I'm not convinced. That's my take at least. There was one called Turpinator for a while too, but a lot of uh, people around here tried it and they claimed it made a lot of the stuff taste the same. So I'm thinking it was kind of like the flavored lines of Botanicare where it was kind of like chemically pushing some flavors into the plant. I don't know how they're doing that, but it does bring a flavor out. And like we mentioned many times in the past, I don't know if that's the best way to do it. This is the MSDS sheet, but I'm not finding, okay, total nitrogen, 0.2, phosphate, potash okay yeah, it's yeah. just the the necessary mpk stuff that they're listing um not sure i haven't seen any actual like they didn't ever since i went to sds sheet it used to be ms like material safety data sheet now it's this safety data sheet and i feel like they're not disclosing a lot of stuff anymore like i used to be able to scroll down and it would be like exactly what the breakdown is it'd be like this percent of this chemical or this percent of that chemical but this is just like oh avoid eye contact and if you get it in your eyes wash with water or whatever you know like unfortunate but yeah, yeah. a little bit more npk than the finish product that i was referencing from uh, heavy 16 so i was wrong and I, I wanted to confirm it but we've got two minutes left so i want to pass it over to first dr mj for final thoughts and shout out yeah, I'll just say this. I think at that point, when you're a few days away from harvest too, I think a lot of it's baked in at that point. I don't think you you might be able to spike the the frost factor on your buds or something, but I don't think you're going to actually improve quality one way or the other. So that's my two cents on that. This was a fun show. We, we touched on a lot of different things. We sort of wandered off into some some other territory, but as always, we came back and I hope the audience enjoys the show. Um, I'm Dr. MJ Coco. We are doing a big seed giveaway tomorrow on Coco for Cannabis. And everybody that's registered for this spring autoflower challenge is eligible for that. So go to the cocoforcannabis.com forward slash challenge and get registered. 
Um, we're also doing a big Grower Love giveaway this month um, on April 20th. We're giving away the Photon Tech XT 1000 watt CO2 Pro, um, giant beast of a grow light. Um, you can register for that on the deals and discounts page at Cocoa for Cannabis. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the Spring Wildflower Challenge. I hope you guys all grow with us. And I am Dr. MJ Coco. I will see you again next week. Grow Thank up. you so much. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, keeping us grounded at certain aspects of the conversation for sure. Much needed and uh, well appreciated and always appreciated with all that good information and uh, check out his website and all the upcoming challenges and stuff like that. You get yourself some free seeds, free lights, all that good stuff for growing. But next up, Matthew Gates. Uh, personally, I do like to pioneer into those very uh, subject matter, but I definitely agree that it was fun to be sort of a grounding force. And also, it was also very fun to see the chat and the various topics that people were talking about there as well, like it often is. Um, and I'm sure that I'll talk more about some interesting sort of bleeding edge technologies with regards to IPM in uh, various places like my YouTube channel, Xenthanol, which you can check out, which is the same place where I'm commenting on the live chat. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at SyncAngel for both of those. And you can also subscribe to my Patreon for as little as $1 USD. You can be part of a group of, we just passed 100 people on the Patreon, on the Discord. So if you're interested in getting uh, you know, basic and advanced uh, answers to various questions, you can check us out there as well. And I'm curious to see more people and answer more questions to people because it's very hard to keep up with it on uh, Instagram chat and comments and such. I would say at some point it becomes impossible. I mean, once you get up and above 10,000 followers or whatever it is, at, at a certain point, one person can't do it all. And uh, it's nice to have that little niche support group where you can get people's questions answered quickly and uh, support the people who are supporting you. And even if it's just a little bit. So with that said, next up, the American one. Hey, Jack, thanks for hosting. And I'll just say, I never used that winter frost. Yeah, I'm unfamiliar with it. So I wouldn't be able to comment on that one. And uh, yeah, it was really good today. We had a, quite a diverse subject matter and uh, it was all interesting. And uh, it's always good chatting it with uh, Doc, Matthew and everybody else who ends up showing up Spartan. And yeah, missing ATG. I hope he makes it back soon. Shout out to him. Shout out to all um, members, previous members and ones that didn't make it. And uh, yeah, I'm the American one on uh, the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG if you want to hit me up or check out some of my plants. And uh, yeah, peace out, everybody. <clears throat> Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I guess I'm last. So Jack Greenstock, I'm your host. You can find me at Jack Greenstock on Instagram, Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter. Email jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com or uh, hit me up on my website, 50strains.com, if you're looking for a copy of 50 Strains of Green. But thank you all for listening. Uh, this was a touchy uh, subject night, a few moments there. So I apologize if we offended anybody, but uh, we're, I wear my heart on my sleeve and uh, I'm just trying to be honest with the research that I've come across and seen. So I do encourage anybody to uh, send me research that uh, speaks to the opposite if you disagree. I'd love to look into it and further inform myself and educate myself always on cannabis or other topics like we touched on this evening. So without further uh, to be said, I look forward to seeing you all next week and appreciate everybody listening both here live on YouTube and on the uh, podcast. And thank you all to the panel who showed up this week. Uh, much love to you and much love to Aaron, who's working his ass off out there in Oklahoma, building it up. So uh, cheers, y'all. See you next week. Grow love, Jack, and grow love, everyone. See you, everyone. <laughs>